0: Sets San Diego up with a first and goal. Rivers, throw, Eddie Royal curls in for the touchdown. The San Diego Chargers are a point after away from going in front in
1: Baltimore. 38 seconds to go. So, Don, you had had enough of my saltiness on Twitter.
2: <laughs> I thought it was and a little... And you called uh, me out on Sunday. So yeah. we talked
1: about it a little bit on Twitter, but all right, let's do it. Okay. All right. Are you gonna You're the one up? calling me out, so that would mean we'd start with you.
2: Okay. You. Uh, I hadn't seen the other tweets, so that's maybe where it came from. But it just seemed like you were randomly venting as a Saints fan that, like, I remember after the Brandon Cooks, was it? I don't know if he put up an egg or when he got hurt or something. You're like, I hope that ruined your season or something like that. And then you said something similar about Jimmy Graham.
1: Yeah, Jimmy Graham had no catches or targets, I don't think, on Sunday, which was obviously an important fantasy football week, being week 13. It was. And I'm sure there's several, several fantasy football teams who did not make the playoffs because Jimmy Uh, Graham had no catches. I
2: won my game, but had he put up like – 35 points like some crazy amount of points he would have had to have a really really good day I would have won on a tiebreaker and I'm glad he I'm glad he put up a zero though and not like 10 points because then my decision to go pick up Romo to start over uh the guy he played against liner no not liner
1: yes uh Sanchez Sanchez USC quarterback yeah. Sanchez <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: then my decision to start him over him would have made me feel terrible because but because I got blown out. Right. Well,
1: here's the thing, I think. And part of it is probably the success of our teams over the last 10 years. But I think a big difference between uh, between us, despite the fact that, as you said, we both play fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Now, you you can vouch for the fact that I've been questioning my love for it right. in the last uh, year and a half or so on this podcast. I've been saying it's losing me. Uh, I still love drafts, but... See, I, I it's think, wearing on me a bit.
2: I think that's interesting because I think your love for fantasy football goes down, at, like over that period of time. Like your team hasn't done well, and then like your favorite player of all time had bad news come out. Like that's the reason I love fantasy football because my team has historically been well. That's banned.
1: what I, That's actually what I was going to say. Is that on Sundays you wake up uh, with fantasy? Your fantasy teams is your number one priority. Because you know that your team is not – and this is the majority of the time, maybe not last right. Sunday. Or
2: this this year is a little bit different. A little
1: bit different. But every Sunday since I started playing fantasy football, regardless of how good or bad the Saints are, th- my number one priority is what happens in the Saints game. Mm-hmm. It's completely secondary to me on fantasy. If I'm going against Drew Brees on Sunday – and he has to score five touchdowns to knock me out of fantasy contention, I just don't need that victory or that money as much as I need the emotional part of the Saints winning.
2: Now, I know you said Drew Brees, but you would say that even about like Aaron Rodgers if the Saints were 5-10 and 10 or something in week 16? or. I
1: can't think of a time because that... it's been so long. I mean, since the Katrina season, and I can't remember exactly. And that was such a frustrating season because they were a much better team than 3-13. and 13. Right, yeah, that's why I'm saying before. I can't Braves. remember a time where it would have been so grim. Now, I know that uh, the second and third year of Sean Payton as coach, well, you know what? They were not a relevant team at all the year he was suspended. But I wasn't waking up saying, I hope whoever I'm playing against in fantasy, torches this absolutely awful Saints defense. See,
2: I don't think I'd ever root against the Bills actively, but if they're going to get scored on, I hope it's my guy at least.
1: Maybe, but now you're talking about me, and I was sort of talking about everyone else. And here's what happens, and it's built up over the years. When I used to go out to sports bars to watch the Saints, right? there'd always be some fat ass in a jersey who's cheering for every game Who'd wobble over to my table and say, who scored that Saints touchdown? Was it Dante Stallworth? <laughs> you know, or it would be some other guy, and he'd come up, oh, Saints are down 21 nothing. Who has the Chargers touchdowns? Gates has all three? Yes! <laughs> Gates! <laughs> and I just want to punch that guy. Yeah. Right? And then, now we have social media, and we have text messaging, and it could be a Sunday where the Saints are, have 31 points. Last year, Saints had 31 points in the first half. They're killing someone. And I get a text message for someone, and it says, why isn't Darren Sproles doing more? And I, I think to myself for a second, Sproles? I look, he has the most catches, the most yards, and the most targets on the team. And oh, I just wrote what, back no and said, what, what, what is it you want from him? <laughs> and what is it you want me to do that can help you you get what you want out of Sproles? Well, what I, what and I then, said... And then in this year and la- last year and other years, it's on Twitter. It's people. Uh, some guy got in an argument. A guy I like, who's a fan of the show, was trying to tell me that they weren't being creative enough with, with Brandon Brooks? Cooks. And it's like, dude... He has the most receptions on the team. He wasn't getting the ball, quote-unquote, in space. I'm like, they're throwing him screens. They're running reverses to him. They're throwing him down the field. They're doing everything they can with Brandon Cooks. I'm sorry he's not doing enough for your fantasy team, which is, I know where this is coming from, and you've seen nothing but four quarters of their season against the Cowboys, which was one of the most dreadful games they've played in the whole Sean Payton era. But stuff like that, I just... I am not mentally tough enough on Sundays <laughs> to handle that kind of stuff. I'm just not, and I know it's immature, and I want to be better. And I broke a direct TV remote after the Detroit game uh, this year, and I said, "I always go down and I take a nap after the Saints games. I almost never watch the four o'clock games because I'm drained." <laughs> And I was laying there thinking, you might need to reevaluate things if you need to break television remotes <laughs> now uh, because of these games. But it's been such a frustrating year, though. I
2: think the difference, I mean, not with Twitter so much. You're a bigger presence on Twitter than I am. But on social media, on Facebook, even in the past, before fantasy football or maybe concurrent to it, uh, I'm sure you had people that would just trash talk you about the Saints if they lost, too. Nothing related to their fantasy players. And I think the thing is, you're a target. Uh, you're not a target, but you're out there as a Saints fan. Now once, Whereas I'm in an area where I'm out there as a Bills fan, but so is everybody, else. everybody else. So nobody's going to take their time and say, hey, Don's a Bills fan. Let's talk to him about, like you said, how now, bad Watkins has been.
1: Here's one thing that you can back up, and that does protect me from that a little bit, right. is I don't do that to other people. No. Never. I never call Bills fans after the bills the saints have beaten the bills last i think they've beaten them every single time since i've been a fan except twice once in 92 in the superdome and in 98 in the superdome every other time the saints beat the bills never one time did i say to any of the people i care about haha the saints beat you right, never right um in the nfl era you know fans of every team now especially with us doing this podcast Almost every week, a listener of ours is opposing the Saints. Their team is. Right. And never, ever do I say ha-ha to them. Right. So they rarely do to me. And if we talk about the game after, I am almost amazed at the level of respect that's involved in the conversation. The Packers game this year was a great example of it. Uh, One of our listeners who's a Packers fan is starting his own Packers podcast and has made me feel really good cuz he's wanted to to come at me with uh some advice uh asking me about what he should be doing and and my thing to him was like look at buddy be positive uh if you're looking to get Packers fans they don't need a place to go uh to be at uh, to, to be downers and and he asked me to listen to a segment where he talked about the Saints and his analysis was smart and it was dead on and I told him to pick the the Packers and I I respected <laughs> everything he said and and the Saints got the best of uh, the Packers that game, I didn't say anything to him. Right. The next time we talked, it was about he wants to come up here for the Bills game, where's a good place to stay. No, so and... I just don't do that to people, so I am a little bit lucky. I, I, I'm a little shielded from that.
2: Right, and a lot of this, like you said, uh, I mean, a lot of this, we already played it out on Twitter. Um, you explained yourself well as I don't get the what happened to Sammy Watkins. So in a lot of ways... I was just thinking that you, you too. Came like, across, you might you might find this. You came across as salty Like you came across as guy that doesn't play fantasy football. It was a guy. prickish tweet. So that that's why I'm like, wait, you play fantasy. I don't understand. You'd be just as pissed if you drafted like if somehow you ended up with like Julio Jones on a team you hate, you'd be the first one to like call him out. I guess you wouldn't call out an Atlanta fan though. That's I guess the difference there.
1: And uh I have no uh I don't have Graham in any leagues this year. It's because it just didn't work out. But I I had a, a fantasy game I needed to win to get in the playoffs. A team that I believe, uh, we got, I got it in, and I think it can win that league despite how needing that last win to get in. If I had Graham, and you walked up to me at 10 o'clock and said, Graham gets a zero today, and the Saints get this win over the Steelers, or Graham gets a 50 and you're in that league and you're going to win it. I'm picking the Saints win and, and and some people might not believe that, but I promise you it's true.
2: See, I would believe that at this point in the season. Like I said, as a Bills fan, I mean this is rare territory for me. I I've been saying on the podcast their week was over, or their season was over when I lost to Kansas City just because of how brutal Denver or Denver uh, and their December is going to be. But that said, if the Bills at this point were 3 and 10, I would root against the bills like if yeah that's just not in me me. i would still want them to win i suppose but if you said you'll win this fantasy week because so-and-so is going to put up 40 points or whatever i i just i check out of the bills when they're that bad there's not much to roof Uh, it'd be different i guess if they still had a young quarterback in but that's that's a different story
1: i uh i pray for the day where i can check out on the saints
2: (laughs) what did you do all the year i mean this is getting long. But, I, I mean, watched I guess, and cheered. I, I guess you got into them when they were bad.
1: I got into them in 1987.
2: And they were probably bad for a while after they that.
1: They were good then.
2: They were good. Right. That, that was, was their the playoff, start right? of
1: the Mora era. And then they quickly say like right about when the Bills Super Bowls ended, the Saints, as a contender, ended until 2000. So they had about five or six pretty dark seasons in there, like the Dicca era.
2: What was the record with Aaron Brooks? They were always kind of close to the playoffs. But... Well, the
1: first season, they were 10-6, and six and they won a playoff game. And then the following season started well and sort of faded. And then the following season after that was the hardest year because, and this was the year we lived together in Fredonia, mm-hmm. they were maybe one of the best teams in the NFL and they just fell apart at the end of the year and lost three straight games and didn't even make the playoffs.
2: Did they start 6-0 and 0 that year or something? I don't know
1: if it was that good, but I, th- I think they were 7-1 and one, or 6-1. and one, yeah. And they had beaten Tampa Bay twice who won the Super Bowl that year. So that was a hard year. I mean, we're
2: getting into psychology about our teams, not less about fantasy. But my thing is, like, the Bills would beat you to death every year by finishing 7-9. and nine, And that's the worst existence in football. You're just in the middle of the road. You're not talked about – People talk about Oakland because they're terrible. People talk about who I mean, just in the middle like that. You just kind of fade into the background and the Saints have hard had to root for anything. The Saints
1: have had two horrible years uh, since 99. They were three and 13 in 99. That was okay. Ricky Williams first year that got Dicka fired and Then the Katrina year. And they were three and 13 in the Katrina year. Every other year they've been a contender or what you described. What
2: was their record? What was their record in the Spygate year? Or whatever, not Spygate, Bountygate.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, their record that year was seven and nine.
2: Okay, so it is exactly what I described. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I said, the Bills, you get spoiled in the '90s, uh, even early 2000s, just expecting them to be good, and then they were terrible. And I don't know. I guess I guess I was younger. I'd rather be out playing football when they were terrible or something, but. So I checked out relatively soon, but when they're, when you're just a middle of the road team and from the beginning of the season, it just doesn't seem like there's no way. Like when the bills were, what did they start five and one or something? The year Fitzpatrick got hurt in Arizona. Uh, I would have wanted them to win because they looked like a legit, uh Ryan Fitzpatrick, or was that might've even been not Fitzpatrick. Was that, Jeez, uh, I'm mixing up my bills, mediocre quarterbacks. Uh Trent Edwards. He looked like oh my god, they finally found a quarterback. So that year I would not have rooted against the Bills, but it just got uh depressingly mediocre after that. Well, you know, and a lot of people have
1: have complained about Breeze this year. And if your league is heavy on picks Yeah. He's hurt you there,
2: isn't he? Always kind of a guy that's going to throw some picks. He's kind of a gunslinger. Is
1: he throws his fair share. Yeah. Uh, he's going to finish with like close to forty touchdowns and about forty seven hundred yards passing. Yeah, and that's just not good enough for a fantasy guy, I guess. So that's it's just really hard on me.
2: <laughs> I wonder where they would have expected, I mean, I guess if you get 5,040 touchdowns, but really is that 300 yards, that much, it's 12 fantasy points over a season. I mean, ah. if you draft a quarterback literally for his consistency, and he gave it to you, I guess.
1: Season 4, episode 33, December 3rd, long. 2014. Welcome to the Sportscasters. We have Stuart Mandel on the show today to talk about what has been a crazy month in college football. And the last week of the regular season before the long December wait for the first ever playoffs to start. we got to talk to him about the playoffs, how the system's working. we got to talk to him about the Heisman. Is there anyone who's going to win that? Are they going to maybe decide not to give it out this year? I have no idea who's slated to win the Heisman. Yeah. No idea. I saw a list online that was a joke, and it was like, Number one, your grandmother. I mean, it was like just like a guy saying there. that there's yeah. no one to win it. We've already had a coach fired at a big program. We're going to talk about that maybe in three things. So we got a lot to talk about there. And then finally, I get this Steve Hyden, Grantland music critic <laughs> in my grasp to explain to me why Nirvana wore the championship belt of music in nineteen ninety three when in utero sold about two hundred thousand records and Versus sold well over a million. So he's gonna have to answer to that.
2: Yeah, Versus the best selling album of all time, right through the first week?
1: Yep, until they changed the uh system. Right. It's like uh there's another example of of something how that record can never be changed because it's not recorded that way anymore. Oh, okay. So you technically can they they can never technically be broken because it's just not done that way anymore. And there's a sports equivalent to that that I can't think of. And I want to talk to him about Sonic Highways, which is this brilliant thing that the Foo Fighters have been doing. That I guarantee every other band ever is like fuck. We should have done that. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, talk to him about music in 2014, which, as far as I know, is shit. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, as far as I know, it's shit. Maybe he'll he's gonna tell me different, and I'm gonna ask him if there's any chance to be any better in 2015. But probably not gonna convince me it is. <laughs> uh, so that's what we'll do today. We got a book club update, and uh, Don and I were on fire with our picks. So make sure you listen to that at the end. Three things.
2: Let's play a game. All right. Mm. On the count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on
1: a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
0: <laughs> this is the funnest night
1: ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yup. Now let's move on to other business.
2: To get back real quick yeah. to, the, to the Bills thing or about our fandom. Yeah. I think part of me, like, don't get me wrong, this weekend, I'm I'm eliminated in both of my playoff uh, fantasy leagues unless I have some sort of crazy like stat change because some tiebreaker I might end up. And losing. you are
1: in the playoffs in the listener league, don't forget.
2: Oh that's A right. Dominating position. That's Bye right. week, Um I've had my funeral for the Bills after the Kansas City game. I think I mentally managed to check out. I know like you said you don't do that, but like I'm one hundred percent invested at the time of the Kansas City game. Like I I am all in then they can get to nine and three. I don't think ten and six gets them into the playoffs, so maybe they gotta steal one of those three games. I, I told Greg, I'm like, they're gonna be nine and three, and it's gonna be crazy, but I still think they miss out on the playoffs. But I'm one hundred percent in at that point. It's just then like I said, I have a funeral for them. And then they lost to Miami, and then it's totally done, and any chance right, is out.
1: I'll say one more thing about this too. A reason why I can never check out on the Saints since two thousand and six It's because every week I know it's one less game Drew Brees is ever going to play for us.
2: Yeah, that's fair.
1: He's the best player that's ever going to play on this team, and I just can't check out on that. I want to be in front of the TV to watch Drew Brees in the uniform playing for my team. And it it just makes it impossible to check out on them. Yeah, that's fair. That's a big part of it. All right, uh, starting with the NFL, Ray Rice as we predicted, and many others predicted, uh, won his appeal of his suspension. That suspension was garbage. You can't suspend him for two games. Then buckle to the pressure when a video is released and decide to suspend him indefinitely. It doesn't work that way.
2: Right. That's not why. It's not garbage because we agree with what he did. Or I mean, I think that's... I don't even think I have to explain it. Our listeners are pretty smart.
1: Right. I don't mean that the idea of suspending him indefinitely was garbage. I mean the way that Commissioner Goodell played out this was garbage and set him up for losing a court battle that you would think on paper would be easy to win. Right. You would think the idea of suspending a guy indefinitely for punching a woman in an elevator on videotape would be a very easy case to win. Right. It's just a little. Unfortunately, dis- they're such morons yep. that they had no chance to win it.
2: All right. Fair enough. I don't know why I felt the needed to. Uh, a disclaimer on that. Here's what I was wondering from
1: you: Have you have you have you read the piece on ESPN that the wife wrote? Or wow I saw she did an interview the that they did on the Today Show or Good Morning America or whatever one it it is i
2: I mean i've probably seen bits and pieces of it i saw she did an interview um i saw was it peter king maybe interviewed her or something on the.
1: she talked a lot about their relationship and how they were friends first they've known each other for years she is definitely sticking to this is the first time this ever happened which, generally speaking, you never believe about domestic violence, right? Sure. You, generally speaking, you never believe that there's a first and a last time for something like this. Yeah. This is es- almost es- always a perpetual issue.
2: Especially in a case where you have it on video, he knocked her out, and his first reaction wasn't like, Oh my god, what did I do? But his reaction was to drag her out of the elevator. And
1: I don't know enough about psychology especially of victims in domestic violence, to really understand what I'm reading and hearing. But what I'm reading and hearing is I hit him, he hit me, I hit him again, and he hit me harder. Yeah. And I did this, then he did this, and then I did this, and he did this, and then I did this, and he did this. this. And we cried about it and we were mad at each other and we talked about it and we prayed about it and we've done this in the community and we've done that. And I don't know if we have a person here who's a perpetual victim trying to stand up for herself to save herself or if we have someone with a compelling story that ends with, yes, Ray Rice, you should never hit a woman, but you were both very intoxicated and maybe you made a mistake that we could, should consider giving you a mulligan on because the victim clearly has. Yeah,
2: we've talked about... we.
1: I'm sorry. I just want to say one last yeah. thing to clarify because I don't want to get all these Steve is a
2: misogynist. Whatever.
1: Whatever, right. We have no problem judging what we think she should feel, think, and say about him. But we know nothing about their relationship, really, other than that video. Right. So are, are, is it, are our judgments fair? I don't know enough about psychology. But if we take what she has said, if it's truth, if there's a way to ultimately prove that as truth, I sort of think we need to back off a little bit.
2: I feel bad for her because I think she's in a tough spot either way. I mean, and you feel bad about what happened, but... Uh... She chose, for whatever reason, to stay with him after the incident. So she must believe in his ability to change. Maybe that's what most abuse victims would say, if it is I indeed perpetual. I think her perpetual. point is
1: almost that there's no reason... That there's nothing needs to be changed. because it's That on, they just had this one crazy night, night in Atlantic, Atlantic City that got completely out of control.
2: And I hope that's the case. And, um... If he can really change, then I think everyone deserves a second chance. Like, I love dogs as much as anybody, but it seems like Michael Vick has – he definitely did his time. Uh, he's taken the right – he's done everything right publicly that you can imagine. And we've Invested talked in, in the cause, and, right.
1: spoke out against his crime.
2: We've talked in the podcast before about – and I fall maybe a little bit on the other side of the fence as you is this one about how the NFL – like you shouldn't – A guy shouldn't lose his livelihood, and maybe some people think, and maybe I'm slightly on this side too, that the NFL is a privilege. okay? Right, and that's kind of where I fall a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, you made a compelling point that these guys have been trained or developed to do nothing but play football.
1: And they have a real small window to make this cash. Right. And then look what happens to them after. We all know what's right. going on in Buffalo Daryl with Taylor and so many other countless cases. So
2: I, I hope it is a case where it was a one-time thing, but like I said, I feel bad for her for what happened, and I feel bad for her because I was not making light of it, but kind of joking around, like, have you ever been around, like, a couple that got into, like, an argument, and then it's just kind of awkward? Like, this happened publicly, and then, like... In front all of friends, these, and she th-
1: says that in her piece.
2: Okay, in front of friends, and then yeah. in front of the world on the, when the video came out, and then... She had a wedding.
1: And then the video came out twice, by the way. Because remember the first time, we just saw a video of her kind of getting dragged out. Right, right. So they had to go through video. that twice. Right. Here's what I would just say to close this out. Read the piece on ESPN.com that she wrote. And watch the stuff on ABC or NBC. Whatever. I don't know. Good, I don't know the difference between Good Morning America and the Today Show. I know they are real early before I'm awake. And yeah, yeah. one's on Channel 2 and one's on Channel 7. Watch that stuff and maybe recon. I'm not telling you to change your mind. I'm just saying uh, process that information and use it as something other than just the image of the video.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I hope she's ta- like I said. I hope she, I hope she's telling the truth. Make your judge
1: make your judgments based on more than just the video, if you can. And I can understand if you can't. Right. I can understand if to you the idea of a guy punching a woman like that, regardless of anything else, is game over. I understand that.
2: Yeah, so, I, I don't think anyone would have blamed her if she left, right. too. But like I said, the wedding is supposed to be the best day of your life, and I don't know how she doesn't have that thought in her head that everyone here has seen me get knocked unconscious by my husband. It's such a weird thing for her. I, I hope her the best, and like if Ray Rice, Rice is a scumbag, then I hope she gets away from it. If he's not, then, I don't know, live happily ever after, I guess.
1: The other nightmare for the NFL this year, Adrian Peterson, his appeal hearing has begun and i guess it's going to basically come down to what kind of proof the union has about what was told to peterson before he was agreed he agreed to be placed on this list or whatever yeah
2: this one is too i mean the easy thing to say is he hit his kid never let him play like going back to the ray rice thing like whatever it's easy just to hate him because of that but from a legal standpoint this one this case is way too legally for me i i don't know how to
1: don't you just kind of feel like that the nfl is just saying here let's just drag this out to get through this year we're not keeping a guy from a playoff team right let's drag that this that that out matter not but, that right. it should but let's just drag this out through this year and then we can spend the offseason to work something out and we can say in the end, we can say face in the end and say, he didn't play for a year because of this.
2: And I think that's kind of what they should have done. Uh, I, I mean, it is what they're doing. But just they didn't have the rules in place for it. The domestic violence-related rules were a joke. Uh, but at the same time, the league has a union for this reason, to protect their players. Uh, I think I maybe said on the podcast, I'm not a slippery slope guy. But if you start just... Arbitrarily suspending guys, then what good is the collective bargaining agreement that they agreed to? Well,
1: like Don said, this is a little too legally at this point. It just started today, so we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, and we'll talk calling, more about what they decide when they decide something.
2: They're calling for different people to come forward, yeah. like Troy Vincent, right? And, like,
1: and apparently, his hit—he's allegedly the one that the union is saying told Peterson he would not be subject to the new domestic violence policy and all this kind of stuff. So let's just wait on this one, but I thought it was worthwhile noting that it, it had begun. Sure. We talked a lot about the Saints already, but an interesting thing about my favorite team, the Saints, and one of our favorite NFL insiders, Jason and Fora, Is he our favorite NFL insider or is Ian Rappaport? It's got to be Jason, right?
2: LaConfora, yeah, he's been out a few... Quite a few times,
1: so it's either Jason or, or Ian would be our, our favorite NFL insider.
2: He was our guy, kind of like when we determined that Schefter wasn't. That's not a slight at Lock; that's more of a slight at Schefter. But yeah,
1: Schefter came out and was a dick.
2: Yeah, he wasn't, and Locke was great. So right. I mean, that's when he became Lock's our, our guy. Yeah,
1: it's real easy to me. Rappaport's great too, but Lock's a little ahead of him. Sure. Uh, Jason Lockenfour came out with some report about the Saints, uh, basically saying that look at. Rob Ryan and Rob Ryan and Sean Payton are not for long. They fight a lot. Sean Payton yells at him on the sideline, and he's basically going to be fired.
2: All right, I didn't see this, but I don't follow the Saints like you do, and I would say Rob Ryan is a lame duck coach, <laughs> and has been since probably what Cleveland at least.
1: All right, so I have no problem with uh, with the report. Absolutely, does Sean Payton yell? At Rob Ryan, very visibly on the sideline, okay, for good reason because Rob Ryan's defense is consistently confused, including a time uh, in the game last week where we were flagged for having too many guys on the field and a failed substitution. Uh, that was really <laughs> that you could it was you watched it play out like a circus because it they- kind of had this overhead shot of the field at the time, and you see guys like running in and out, and nobody knows, and then the next thing you know, like five flags are being thrown. You're like, oh, too many guys. Yeah, yeah. But the the reason I bring it up is because after the game, Sean Payton was asked about this. And he said something along the lines of, look at, that's just me. I yell at him. I yell at Joe Vitt. I yell at players. I'm like that on the sideline. Yes, I was very mad today. We had a 12-man on the field penalty. At this point of the season, it's too long. So I yelled at, at the coach in charge of getting 11 guys on the field at that time. But that doesn't mean I want a, a new defensive coordinator, and I don't like these splash Sunday news reports. Okay. And he said that... And if, Jason, Sean,
2: if Sean Payton means that, by the way, he deserves to be fired, too. They absolutely need a new defensive coordinator.
1: And uh, he, he... he, Look, he can't He's say that say today. That. No, right? I know. Rob Ryan's getting fired. I think that's besides the point. Yeah. Where it gets sort of interesting is... Uh, he went as far, Peyton, as saying that Lackin' Four gets his information from a bitter old defensive coordinator.
2: So that's got to be Greg Williams. It's Greg
1: Williams, I guess. Or there's been four in his tenure, including hmm. Ryan. And one I don't think is bitter and has been talked about being the replacement. Really? You know, for Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Because he coached the Raiders and was fired and they're talking about maybe it would make a lot of sense for him to come yeah, back. Yeah. Uh, but... I reached out to Jason and said, Jason, I hear you're getting a lot of news from uh, one of the old <laughs> Saints defensive coordinators. Could you come on the podcast and talk about this? And he said, look, buddy. And he called me buddy. He likes us. Yeah. He said, I would absolutely love to come on and talk with you about that, but I can't this week. But let's do it before Christmas. All right. So Jason Lock and will be on soon, and we will talk about what's going on with Sean Payton. And Jason and the mystery defensive coordinator, which, by the way, uh, Jason Lock said, Sean Payton has no idea where I got the news from this story. And he's full of shit, basically. Was, yeah,
2: I was going to say, this is exactly how I think it plays out. One, Lock and Flores, I've seen writers get called out before, and writers don't like to be called out because...
1: He was also called out this year by in uh, the Buffalo media. I can't remember exactly what it was about, but it was earlier in the season because I remember having to tell my mother-in-law, look at that guy is a really smart guy, yeah. and he doesn't just throw stuff out. Most I'll writers I try to remember what that most was. Most
2: writers are smart. Uh, even guys I don't tend to agree with, local guys like Harrington, uh, who we had on last week, uh, they're smart. That was good,
1: by the way, wasn't it?
2: He was good. Yeah. To- he's totally wrong. I crushed him. He, he's totally will, wrong.
1: Will we agree that I killed him in the, in the disagreements? Yeah. Uh,
2: I don't under I mean I can go on and on about well how wrong it is to want to finish thirteenth or whatever right. but uh, writers are smart they they're and I'm not picking on anybody I'm not an athlete by any means but they're nerds that would rather cover and write about sports than most of them haven't played sport but there doesn't mean they're not super super smart guys those are the guys that end up like running teams someday not writers but just super smart guys like that. Uh, so I would expect him to come out and say, to defend himself uh, strongly. And at the same time, like you said about Sean Payton, he has to say that stuff. Right. He has to, you he, he can't say like, well, yeah. There's a now, lot of there was also
1: a, a Sunday splash report, as Payton would put mm-hmm. it, about the Saints being one of the four teams interested in Ray Rice. I can tell you right now, there's absolutely no way that's true. Robinson's coming back next next week. What would they do with Ray Rice? I don't know. Uh, how, how how would the Saints... Where does that come from?
2: Ingram's finally having like the season maybe worthy of where you drafted him. And they have and Pierre th- Thomas, and they have Tavares Kadat, and they have uh,
1: Corey Robinson. What would they ever do with him?
2: Right. Those three other guys are probably interchangeable, but so is Ray Rice at this point in his career, I would say. so. And he dismissed that one. And then there was another
1: Sunday Splash report with the Saints that the Saints are potentially drafting a quarterback this year. Uh, great. Draft one every year. Right. I guarantee it's not going to be in the first, second, or third round. There's a stat that came out. But feel free to draft uh, one anytime.
2: time. There's a stat that came out. It's not an indictment of Breeze. This year uh, that in it, since Brady took over for the Patriots. Yeah, how many times have they drafted They've drafted more quarterbacks than the Bills. That's a, That should be embarrassing if you're Buffalo.
1: I've said many times on this podcast you should draft one every year.
2: Yeah. yeah. Unless you've got Aaron Rodgers sitting behind Brett Favre. And that was only for, what, a year?
1: So, I mean, come on. That 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 is that's trolling. That's that's literally just like, that's 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 bullshit. But what that's I a mean?
2: weird thing to point out. Like, it's a weird stat to say with that little, or a weird piece to kind of break with that little backing to it. If they said, if he said the Saints are going to draft a quarterback in the first round this year, then that's something. And who who knows that? Mickey, I don't know I don't know how you. Mickey know
1: that. Loomis and who else knows what the Saints are doing in the Jets? Yeah, draft. I don't know how you would know that.
2: Unless unless Drew Brees went to Loomis and said, hey, but this is probably my last year.
1: Which he's saying he wants to play to 45, so right. I guarantee that didn't happen. Right. Uh, moving on from the Saints and the splash reports, and I'm excited to get Fora on to talk about all this stuff. Johnny Manziel scored his first NFL touchdown against the Bills. Don, in 30 seconds or less, you got to see Johnny Manziel play about 10 minutes or so. The, uh, the, the Browns waited way too long to bring him in because Hoyer yes. was clearly dog shit in that game. Yeah, and Hoy, uh, but tell man, me about Manziel in about thirty seconds to a minute. He
2: had a really nice first drive, and the one thing I'll say is that that maybe isn't totally unexpected. The Bills didn't practice for Johnny Manziel this week, so I'm not saying that had he played the full sixty, they would have beaten the Bills. But he probably would have been better than Hoyer. Um, but the Bills would Hoyer and for Orton
1: him. were literally doing a. Whatever you can do bad, I can can do do worse. worse. Yep. in the In the very beginning of that game,
2: yeah, that game was totally close. Uh, One of those nothing forever, wasn't it? It was, and Cleveland, in a lot of ways, was playing better than the Bills. Uh, They moved the ball. You know, both teams weren't doing much. They were moving the ball a little bit better. Uh, And it really that game flipped on that, like, in two plays, the Bills scored fourteen points in ten seconds. Right. So, and how many
1: of those fourteen points were Hoyer's fault?
2: The one was a handoff. I don't remember how Oh, the West it. fumble. Yeah. Right. Okay. I don't so probably how, none of those specifically. But. I mean, not directly, but I don't right. remember how the touchdown before that was set up. He did throw, I think, two or three picks. Uh, three. He threw three. But Second it, week in a row. Yeah. So he's done. Um, and like you said, they probably waited too long. They, they, have, are they Yeah, they're tied with the Bills now. And I've said before how tough the Bills are.
1: So they are saying that they're going to uh, review film before
2: deciding yeah i'll decide hoyer's done with the kid in (laughs) okay i mean he looked they got the benefit of a weird tuck rule or something because that was clearly a fumble uh in the end zone and even uh mike the ex-ref whatever his name is yeah
1: that guy is terrible though compared to or was it Pereira? did you get Pereira or the other guy
2: I I don't mean to do it this way, but it was the black guy.
1: Okay, he's terrible. Is he bad? Oh my god. Okay, because because
2: Mike Pereira is unbelievable at it. Right when he
1: comes on and tells right. you that the rule against your team is wrong, you're like, all right, fuck, it's wrong. Okay, you know. But this other guy, this he's guy, a clown.
2: I mean, he said it was. He said the call was wrong, but that it should have been a touchdown. Now he's not
1: completely dumb. He's just not as good as the other guy, so he might right. have been right. Pereira is really. Articulate. I didn't see the play. I just seen all the gifts of dead Johnny Manziel and right. the things on him.
2: That play was a bad play by Manziel. That was a pretty like, just take a sack there, throw it away. Something did they
1: snap it too early to him though? or They something? did, they did. But I mean, you fall on it then. All right, know, we're bullshitting something. way too much. We yep. still so have two other things to get to. And We're nice. not even done with number one. Do them quick. All right, uh, Michigan fired their coach. Maybe Jim Harbaugh goes there. Who knows? Okay. Uh, the Cardinals are toast in my opinion. We're going to start doing something in the pick four section starting probably next week about playoffs. I don't think they're going to make it. I might uh, disagree with that a little bit. Okay, well, let's save we'll that for next later. week. Okay. Uh, the point is that Tyron Matthew is injured; He's going to miss time. He all oh, right. Surgery. I forgot about that, so maybe I don't so much. Uh, and uh, where do we should since we go have gone long? Should we use that as a way to weasel out of having to talk about the Rams versus the police thing, or should we dip our toes? You in Yeah,
2: I'll just say this really quick um, about that. Everything about Ferguson, I don't have a problem with them doing that. We've talked about freedom of speech before. Uh, freedom of speech doesn't mean you're free from the consequences. The NFL is a business. I, they didn't decide to find them, so it is what it is. I don't have a problem with them doing it necessarily. I don't have a problem one way or another with guys making political statements. It doesn't matter to me, but I would understand if the NFL does, they have to protect their brand. That said, whether everything about Ferguson is on the Internet. There's transcripts of the entire trial available. It's like 300 pages or something, but you can read it. And nobody has. So that's my point. If you want to make statements on it, go on the internet and read. find this document and read it. And then come to your own conclusion about what happened. And then if you still want to do the hands up, don't shoot, that's fine. Do you think,
1: do you think those players read that?
2: I, I, I doubt majority of the people that are posting pictures, comparing this case to this case where a white guy didn't get killed or, Where a white cop killed another black kid. It's out of control, essentially. It's cherry-picking stories that are not related, to make a point.
1: By the way, the Rams apologized to them. And the Rams know that that was stupid, and they're trying to deny it, in my opinion. I don't believe that as mad as the police are in St. Louis, that they would come out and, and say to the Rams, or say to the public... Yeah, the Rams apologized to us when they didn't. I think the Rams, someone within that Rams organization called up and said, We're sorry that happened. And now everyone's pissed at them for doing that. And the Rams are like, What? We didn't do that. What are you talking about? No, we didn't do that. That didn't happen.
2: I'm fine with. It's a, I have it's a business, but at the same time, the people playing in it are human, so I have no problem with the gesture, but I also have no problem with the NFL protecting its brand, which have, they chose not to in this case. I
1: have no idea if he had his hands up or not. In the case, no. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I doubt that the players had any idea.
2: No, I don't think so.
1: If he didn't have his hands up, I could understand why the police are upset that the players did that. Right. Because, like they said in their ridiculous statement, by the way, if you've read it, it's ridiculous. But like they said, we have to work our asses off to protect this stadium for you to come and make these millions of dollars. <laughs> and you're just bringing, you're agitating the people who are already ruining our communities. So if the police are like, right, and that never happened, I could see why they're upset. Sure. But then again, I have no problem with the players coming out and doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're in the same place, yeah, basically. Uh, well, whatever. Form,
2: form your own opinions based on the the documentation that's out there. Don't go to a liberal website and then repost that. Don't go to a conservative website and repost that. I
1: get why the police are mad. I get why the players did what they did. I absolutely believe someone within that Rams organization apologized sure, because there's yeah. no there's no way the police would say they did if they didn't. Right. And uh, someone in the Rams maybe overstepped their bounds. And is working really hard to make it seem like what that didn't happen. Yeah. So let's and move as far on. as
2: yeah, as far as talking about it, I, I think you could talk about it without being controversial. And it's, it's
1: not that's so. not what we do. No, really, not really. So let's move on. Yep. Okay, number two, uh, the MLS final. It's, uh, it's Sunday. It's the LA Galaxy versus the New England Revolution. I think those are their names. I know it's LA Galaxy. Right. I hope. I got the New England one, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. But that makes sense, right? Like the Sh- Revolutionary sure. War? I think that's...
2: Yeah, I, I, I grew up a soccer player, so my take on this is not going to be who cares about soccer, but...
1: Uh, I, I want to bring this is. up for three reasons. Yep. One, the New England goaltender is born and raised in Buffalo, New York. His name is Bobby Shuttleworth. He played college soccer at the University of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He left early to join this New England team and was as far down the ladder on that team as you could be. Okay. Making literally hundreds of dollars a week. <laughs> okay. Sleeping with other guys, three or four other guys in that position on the team, sleeping in one bedroom apartment or yeah. whatever. He stuck with it. He got his chance. I talked to a Revs fan online who's a listener. Who said he's been heroic at times? Wow. His mother is battling cancer, cancer that I don't know if she'll survive or not. She's been close before. She's a fighter. She's battled through. Uh, hopefully, she's doing great. She works with my wife, uh, and uh, it's just I'm just so happy for them. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that uh, I'm, I'll be rooting for New England because I'll be rooting for Bobby and Maggie, and I hope. Sure. That, I uh, have
2: no other interest. So I'll root for them too. I not? hope
1: it works out for them. Uh, the two other things I want to mention. One is that Los Angeles has the greatest United States soccer player of all time. Is that a true? Landon Donovan? Is that, yeah, who would be is the, that him? Who else? Well, argue. this, I guess, is his last game yeah. in the MLS. So he can go out a champion. And he can go out a champion because in the best of two, and I guess they don't describe it that way. I guess they call it legs. Okay. Uh, they... Each won a game. Seattle won one two to two to one, and LA won one one to nothing. So the aggregate score, which was the reason that New England was able to advance on a tie, is also a tie. Uh, was also tied two two. Right. So what they did next was let LA advance because they had scored one of the goals on the
2: road. The tiebreaker is most. The tiebreaker after the games is most goals scored. On the road. Well, I think the first
1: tiebreaker would be if you win and draw or win and win, you get it. Well, sure. Right. 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 Then it would be if you win and lose the aggregate score. Sure. So then the next one. So like in this case, the aggregate score was three to three.
2: All the two to Two, two. two. Right.
1: Yeah. So the next thing is road goals.
2: That's ridiculous. LA was
1: the winner because they scored one of their goals in Seattle. Even though it was a
2: loss, right. In a loss, a 2-1 to loss. Can you imagine like in a win? Like what if you won on the road but not as much as the other team won? Can on the... I
1: even express to you how bad it made the soccer too? They scored that goal and oh, then I didn't even think they that. just stood around with 11 guys in front of their net and just kept kicking it down the length of the field.
2: Now, this is the worst.
1: Someone tweeted to me that it's better than PKs. No, it's not.
2: Like, just It's not better the than game that. And then do petit- yeah, I don't see why. It I'd rather do PKs. At least so it's decided on something. I guess
1: I'm fine with aggregate being number one in a best of two. Sure. But how about a minigame with a golden goal?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Why not?
1: How about the PKs? How about I bet we could come up with 30 different things in the next 10 minutes that are better than away goal.
2: Yeah. The only thing worse I've ever heard than that, and maybe you've heard this before too because it's kind of a famous story, is there was a team trying to qualify for something. Can't remember what. But one of the biggest things was goal differential. And uh, how did it go down? Essentially, teams were trying to score on themselves because of a quirk in the rule. So like, they were defending their own goals. Uh, or They were defending the other team's goals because teams were trying to score Like they figured out what was going on and like a tie was worth a certain number of points. I can't remember what it was, but they needed, I'd have to look it up. Well, I can't
1: believe soccer fans stand for this. What
2: would be, be well, I think you've already given better ways. Well, when I was
1: in college, I was a big fan of the hockey team at which is a division three team. And at the time in the playoffs, they had a best of two series. And the way they would do it is, you know, two wins you're in, a win and a tie, you're in, or if it's a win and win, they do the ice and they put ten minutes on the clock and they play a mini game. Okay. So you could do that. Or you could do a golden goal type of situation yeah, for fifteen I, I minutes. Think, I
2: think the golden goal thing is the way to go.
1: Anything but what you have. Anything. Away goal? Away yeah. goal. We got our goal on the road.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the worst. And it, that that puts them in the championship game. Okay, here's the rule of the game I was talking about. For whatever reason, there was a rule in this one tournament that if the match ended in a tie, um, the first goal in extra time would win the match, but also count as double. So this team was winning two to one at the end of a game. Oh, so they needed so they to tie scored it. on themselves,
1: so they could get the double goal. So they
2: could force overtime. To get the double goal, right.
1: Yeah, that's hideous as well. Yeah. All right. Third thing, and I'm going to try to not be obnoxious about this. But, Don, you know I work hard on the podcast. Yes. And you know that one of the things we're most proud of is how we treat other people. (laughs) Okay. That when people come on the show, I don't waste their time. Right. I work hard on the interviews. You don't get to be a part of as many of the interviews as we'd like because – Schedules do work, right?
2: right? I I think the biggest evidence of this, uh, if I is not what I think, but the fact that we've had big name guys come back, uh, guys that have no business coming back necessarily, like uh, Jim Florentine, Mike Torico, comedian Tirico, uh Peter Al, King, uh, yeah, Peter King. The list goes on and on. As the guys that have come back. Not I, once. Right. Once I twice. think maybe you could trick someone into getting on here one time. But if you get a guy to come back or you get a guy to come on because, oh, so-and-so told me you gave a good interview. Like Now,
1: not only do we try to book huge guests, but we also try to book people that we think we might be able to help and they might be able to help us. A couple of weeks ago, we had a guy on who had written a book about a city in Florida called 4th Down and Dunbar. Mm-hmm. He found me on Twitter, and he said, "I love to. I'm trying to find an audience for this book. I know you guys are based in Buffalo. There's a big part about Sammy Watkins. Would you consider having me on?" And I said, "Sure, we'll make it part of our book club. We'll have you on. We'll do that." He wrote me a great note after he said he got a huge bump. Me and you were proud. We were proud of that, right? Right. That he had written that after the episode had aired, that he had he seen a sales bump. Well, with all that being said. Uh, There was a guy once who had a website strictly about hockey ratings.
2: TV ratings. Hockey TV ratings. Okay.
1: Nobody watches hockey on TV. So you could imagine how many people would be rushing to a website to tell them how many people watched said hockey game on TV. Pretty niche, right? Yes. Yes. Well, this guy started to get a little bit of uh, notoriety because the Puck Daddy, who's a big friend of ours, started citing his numbers in his in his articles. Okay. Because Puck Daddy would be the example of someone who, for an article, might want to know how many people watch the Winter Classic. Sure. Right?
2: Yeah. Plus, hockey's all about analytics now, so any angle you can take at it, even... Just numbers in general. Sure. Well,
1: one day I thought it might be a great idea to reach out to this guy and uh, say, "Hey, you want to come on the show and uh, talk about uh, your site and some ratings?" And uh, I think it was before playoffs, and and tell me some trends and and let me know what what the NHL is thinking and hoping for. You know, I always want to know things like you know what does the NHL want as a league? Right? We ask that to Wisniewski all the time. Right? Who would the NHL like to see in the finals? Right? New York, LA. And I was consider. Right. I was I was curious so I reached out to this guy whose name is Steve Lapore, and he said to me sure I'll be on how about tomorrow at 3 I said sounds great buddy and then I woke up and he said how about 4 and I said okay and then he said how about 5 and I said well alright and he said you know what this isn't going to work out for me just uh, reach reach me another time and I said well okay then Right. And I think I said to you, well, we're never reaching out to him again. Right. And it's not because we're some hoity-toity organization over here. It's just that, you know, that doesn't mean we need we don't treat other people like that. Right. Well, Steve LaPorte, I guess, was a good at what he did. I, I ignored him. I didn't follow him on Twitter or read his stuff because uh, I can be like that. <laughs> somebody recently told me not to be like that I forget who because they were telling me about how oh it's Jeff Passan Jeff has had uh, written something about uh, something and I told him how great it was and he said well the guy who edited last year's best American sports writing was better and I'm like well I don't read that fucking guy because he was a dick to me last year <laughs> and he's like oh that might be true but he still writes good good stuff you should read it you're only hurting yourself read it and I'm like, nah I'm not reading that shit Anyway, Steve Lepore went on to get a job at Awful Announcing, a site that has been very kind to us. Matt Yoder, uh, one of the most uh, notorious Saints fans on the internet, is the uh, editor there. He came on and talked about the site and Saints football with me in the summer. Uh, Ken Fang writes for them, who's been on our show before and had us on his show. Yeah. Uh, so Awful Announcing is something I like. He also is writing about hockey for Rolling Stone. And there was a the third thing he did. I can't remember. But he has been fired from all of them. And Deadspin's article is, Hockey blogger fired for being a serial creep to women on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Steve Lapore was reaching out to people, and I won't paraphrase it. I will quote it from his tweets. DMs to a girl named Tony McIntyre who is the one who published this, so I'm not unfairly mentioning her.
2: So I am a, I'm a smart computer guy, but a DM... It can, you can it's only get DMs tweet. when somebody's following you. Yes. Okay. So he
1: would be finding these people on Twitter, I guess, pretty they quickly. They would probably follow him. They would follow him, and he would say, I'm getting a new camera for Christmas, so I'm writing down potential shoot ideas slash scripts during all breaks. Okay. And the person in question here... Tony, trying to pretend like she cares, said, oh, very cool. To which he said, eh, I guess. Ha ha. She wrote back, sure, smiley face. And then it gets weird. (laughs) He said, I often ask this to people I become friendly with quickly and who live within a reasonable distance of me. Would you ever let me shoot you? Question, quote, photographically. Basically, think it over and let me know what you would absolutely say no to in terms of wardrobe. It's not like I'm trying to do anything crazy, but I like to keep options open for stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, well, nudity is a no-fly zone, and I'm not crazy about showing my arms, but that's it.
2: <laughs> to which she? So she's trolling him a little bit here. You think? Or probably just trying to downplay it and kind of get out of it. Get out, yeah, Okay. And then he says,
1: okay, when you say nudity, do you mean anything resembling taking off any clothes? Like, would a bikini be okay? Ha ha. Then he says, uh, thank you. Also, it gives a little more freedom to say yes to stuff because it's not going to really be all over the internet or anything. These aren't your work photos or old school photos. Everyone and your mom would have to see these. Ha ha. So,
2: w- what is his? He's basically
1: saying he he just wants them for himself. <laughs> so 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 don't worry about about your arms or that nudity stuff. Uh, she says to him, "I didn't know you did photography." And he says, "Well, because of the whole writing career, I'm super private about it. It's a passion that I don't really share with Twitter, or really anyone outside of close friends. I hope that's not weird. It makes you sounds like a strange recluse." She says she's known quote unquote him on Twitter for five days at this point. Wow. Um. That's bold. He also says, okay, what about like a short dress or a tank top and shorts or jean shorts? Is cleavage
2: okay? So he I – mean, I, I don't know how long this goes on. I can hold my comments.
1: Yeah, hold he your comments. Uh, Bill Barnwell from Grantland uh, gets a little annoyed following this on Twitter and reaches out to the girl and says, how do people act like this? She says, for your information, the number of women who said that he's done this or very similar to them is now in the low – twenties. Wow. So over 20 people have come contacted horrible. Tony afterwards to say that he's also done this to me. Um, a girl named Lindsay Adler says, well, glad I didn't take Steve Lapore up on his DMs asking me to hang out and watch baseball. Uh, Megan Greenwell, a guy who used to send me creepy DMs just got fired for sending lots of women creepy DMs. Hmm. Uh, he then spent a uh, day sort of kind of apologizing on Twitter. No one bought it, and he deleted his Twitter.
2: Oh, boy. what?
1: Ugh. Steve Lepore, it was nice knowing you, bud. Karma?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't don't shirk the uh, sportscasters and then be a, a weird creep.
1: Right, it has nothing to do with us. That was just a joke. Right. But what a fucking dick.
2: Yeah, I don't... You must get off just on sending the messages, right? Because he can't think that's going to work.
1: Well, I think he thinks maybe if he's doing it in the twenties, maybe he thinks three will work.
2: <laughs> it's just a numbers game. He can't think he's famous enough for that. I don't know. Nobody should be doing that. Don't get me wrong, but uh, why? You're you're a public figure to some extent. Like your life is putting things on the internet.
1: I have always said that people should not be losing their livelihood for mistakes on this show. I'm fine with this guy losing his. Goodbye, Steve Lapore. The sportscasters won't miss you. Neither were the 20 girls that you were a predator to.
2: Yeah, at, at least. At least. All right.
1: More than 20. In the 20s, I think was how she described it, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's skeevy. Like The last 10 minutes or whatever just made me feel weird. <laughs>
1: All right, long, long, long segment there, but you missed us over the last week anyway, right? Did right. Double time here. All right, we're gonna take a break and come back with Stuart Mandel. Our next guest is from Cincinnati, Ohio, and is a graduate of Northwestern University. He's a senior college sports columnist for Fox Sports, and has a book called The Thinking Fan's Guide to the College Football Playoffs. He's making his seventh appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to uh, Stuart Mandel. What's up, Stuart? What's going on? Oh, I don't know. I'm confused, I think a little bit. Yeah. I think I was under the impression that people would be better than computers. And I, and I <laughs> And I don't know that they're not yet, but Here here's the first thing I, that is weird to me. The uh the college basketball committee that puts together the tournament. They don't release a tournament every week. Why do right. they feel like they need to do this for college football?
3: Well, to be to put it simply, you see how much we're talking about it, how much we're writing about it, how much attention it's getting, and that's why uh, this is uh, a. And, and, and interestingly enough, when they first announced the selection committee, which was you know a little over a year ago at this time, Bill Hancock explicitly said they would not be doing a weekly poll. They would be doing you know a, a, an occasional poll, a check-in poll, but not a weekly poll. And then they totally reverse course on that. I think some of that came from ESPN. Uh, they're, they're, invest- they're paying a lot of money to show this playoff, and it makes for great programming for them every week. And then some of it was, I think, once they started to kind of boil into the details, they realized, well, wait a minute, if we put out a poll on October 28th, and then we don't do it again until, I don't know, November 20th, um, people are going to get really confused in the weeks in between. So they've done it, and it's achieved its purpose. And because this is the first year, it, you know, you could say that while it's still new and a little bit frustrating to people, it is giving you a window into how they think. I mean, can you imagine if they, if they did it like the basketball committee, and so the only polls we had all season were 18 coaches, and on the last day of the season, they dropped theirs, At Florida State was fourth. People would go, what on earth are you talking about? Whether you agree with it or not, they have explained every week why Florida State is lower in committee rankings than in the um, traditional polls, and I actually agree with them about Florida State. I have them fourth this week too. I think anytime there's something new, I remember this when the BCS first started. There's a huge adjustment period, and whether you agree or disagree with them, you know, I think as the years go by, if, if they all you can ask for is consistency, and as the years go by, if, if they treat teams in the similar, same situation similarly we will all adjust how we do these things. But right now, we're all used to, you know, 80 years of precedent with the AP and coaches' polls where an undefeated team would be number one right now. Or uh, I don't know how Baylor and TCU would be, probably differently than they are in the committee poll as well.
1: You know, I'm okay with, uh, with the undefeated team not being number one. That doesn't bother me that much. You know, and I think that's partly because of the power rankings era, you know, where we go every website, has someone doing a, a college football, NFL, NHL power rankings every week. And if if they just slotted those from best record to worst record, it'd be a waste of time. So I think we're sort of conditioned to that a little bit. It doesn't drive me crazy that Florida State is four, as long as they're one of the four. I mean, if, if it ever got to the point where Florida State edged out a victory next week and the committee said, well, you know what, maybe TCU and Baylor is just a better option for this, and we had a team in one of the main conferences go undefeated and not make it, I might have a big problem with that.
3: And I'm not concerned about that happening. Okay. Uh, the three teams that are ahead of Florida State have clearly better resonate than Florida State. You know, you've got an Oregon team in particular that has far more wins over top 15 teams, and who's lost, has now turned out to be a 2-10-2 team. TCU's lost, you uh, know, one of the other playoff contenders. Um... Alabama, I do think is a little bit more test driven, but you know, obviously being Mississippi State was a huge win. And then Florida State, I mean, I think last night the committee, some of Jeff Long's comments indicated that they are just having this interaction that a lot of the rest of the stars so are just not playing well. It, to me Florida state's gotten worse over the last few weeks. And so there is a subjective element to this where they don't have to necessarily say we we'll are ordering them exactly in terms of schedule strength or this or that. They can say, we can keep season improving. We, as we said, we can keep season improving. We think Florida State has really struggled the last few weeks against an unranked team. Um, but why I think they're safe in the top four is because they're not playing an unranked team this week. They're playing number 11 Georgia Tech. And even if you win 20-19, you beat the number 11 team, you're not going to drop. So
1: I think they're safe. Right. I mean there's got to be a thing where winning all the games you got to get in because you can't control the conference you're in. Right? I mean, Florida State can't in in, in July say, "Man, we're not going to get a lot of top 25 games out of this conference. Let's move over to the uh to the Big 12 real quick this year." And uh if we win all the games there, then at least we'll make the playoffs. So I just I feel like if you do run it in one of these conferences, you, you kind of do have to be in it. But I don't know. You you just do. You, do you, Can you envision a scenario? Do you think there would be any possible justification that a team could go undefeated in this system and, and drop out, or am I just getting a little unnecessarily nervous because they're number four and not number two or three or one?
3: Well, I, I do think the committee takes strength of schedule into consideration. The ACC has not been as good a conference now. ACC went 4-0 against the SEC last week, so I don't think we should automatically dismiss the ACC. But, again, if you look at the teams right behind Florida State, you know, Baylor played, if you were comparing the two, I mean, Baylor played. Baylor ended up with they win the win this week with three top-15 wins, but they also did not play anybody at a conference, and I really think that's what's hurting them in the rankings. Ohio State has that loss to Virginia Tech kind of hanging around it. Um, and that's a lot different than, than uh, you know, Baylor having a loss on the road to a top seven team, or Oregon having a loss to a 10 and 2 team. So I just don't see anybody that could pass Florida State. I know Arizona people a lot of people are talking about Arizona. If they beat Oregon again, jumping up into the top four is possible, but I think that would happen if some of the teams lose, not if everything holds serve.
1: Okay. Uh, next thing. So TCU and Baylor. Uh, we talked about winning needs to be really important. Uh, apparently, winning against each other maybe isn't as important, as important as I might have thought it was. And I might have a little bit of a problem with that. Um, I don't know. Make the case for TCU over Baylor.
3: I can make the case for TCU over Baylor as of today. Uh, that'll be a different... I think people have to remember this will look a lot different uh, next i on the last poll after Baylor has played uh, a team in Kansas State that just checked in at number nine in the last ranking. So as of today, I mean, Jeff Long said it. They have two wins over teams with winning records on the entire season. Um, I do think people kind of make fun of the fact that Minnesota would play a part in this. So Minnesota was a top 25 team up until this past week. TCU beat them at a conference. Baylor did not play anybody at a conference. The committee says they're not trying to send messages about scheduling, but they are sending a message about scheduling right now. So, I would make the case that TCU to this point has played a better schedule uh, than Baylor. Um, subjectively, I think they're playing better. You saw Baylor had a real scare against a born 8 Texas tech, tech team this past week. And most of all, I think the part that, that people are having trouble wrapping their heads around is that they to first to evaluate them on all 12 games. And the 61 58 game, to me, it, it, it would be a different story if, if Baylor had beaten them Uh If you had seen that day definitive proof that Baylor is a better team than TCU. Instead, you had a game that TCU actually never trailed until that field goal went in with the other second class. And it's a road game, not a home or a neutral site game, and it's a three-point margin. So for me, the game's kind of a wash. Now, some people feel completely differently. The scoreboard's all that matters. Um, that's playing football. You, you play it on the field. Why is it? And I understand people aren't credulous. To me, this is just kind of another sign of the way things are going to be evaluated going forward, where you're not going to ignore the other 11 games on the schedule and say, well, we're going to decide this totally on this one game that was played on October 11th. We're going to look at the whole body of work. We think TC's body of work is better. That's my understanding of it, and that's why I'm okay with it uh, for now. But I think again, you know, last impressions matter. Baylor beat a number nine, his eighteenth convincingly, and at that point, we are have three wins against top fifteen teams. Comes a lot for tier division. Well,
1: what if they beat them fifty eight to fifty six? Is that convincing enough? Do they? Does it have to be convincing? Like you said, can they just beat the I number didn't nine used to team?
3: think That I used to think, as long as they got to the end and they both had the same record, and they will have played ten of the same twelve teams. That it would be a simple, easy head-to-head, but they're three spots apart going into the last week of the season. So, um, you know, I do think it's possible for a State goes right back ahead of TCU uh, after if they beat Jordan Tech because you know, TCU is playing a two-and-nine Iowa State team next week. But you know, as of now, you're, you're saying that they needs to move up four spots to be ahead of them. That's asking a lot off of one game. And if it was what you just said, it was fifty-eight fifty-six. I mean, coming off 48-46 over the Texas Tech, at some point the high test does come into it, and you say, you know what? TCU, they're both really good on offense, but TCU's got a much better defense, and so we think is a better team.
1: Does the committee sit down and look at a thing like, wow, because that, that, they can't watch every game. There's just no way, right? You can't watch every single game that these teams have played. And if they are, I mean, I, I, I tip my hat to their commitment. But do they look at the way these two teams played a team like Oklahoma, who obviously is nowhere near as good as we thought they were in August, but do we look at that and say, well, TCU won that game because of a real late pick six by Trevor Knight, a play that should never have happened. That's why they got that win. But Baylor went into Oklahoma and humiliated them. I think they do look at
3: all of that stuff. Okay, that Uh, stuff
1: does matter. And I I
3: think you can
1: you know, the
3: point it's kind of paralysis by analysis. I, I think you can, you can, um, I mean, you can look at these things certainly different ways. David than who works for Fox Sports Southwest, put up today a pretty good, you know, here's TCU's case, here's Baylor's case, and it just kind of shows that, you know, that's a perfectly legitimate point you just made. Uh, a TCU game might counter by saying, what about the fact that Baylor lost on the road by two touchdowns to West Virginia and we went on the road didn't have a best game and beat them. Um, you know, he's got here, let's see, TCU beat Texas Tech by 55 points. Baylor beat Texas Tech by 2 points. Um, they have five, I'm looking for the really good night here. Um, they've, they've played, of the common opponents they've played, um, TCU has had a larger victory margin, five of them. So, gotcha. I don't know exactly. We don't, we're not in there. We right. don't know what's going what on exactly. It did seem, based on Jeff Wong's comments, that they were really impressed with with D.C.'s win at Texas. I was really impressed myself. If you go back and look, you, uh, Baylor at Baylor's game against Texas Tech, it was a I believe seven seven going into the fourth quarter before um, Baylor won twenty eight seven. So you can you put you can look at it any different number of ways. But not unlike the D.C.S. in that, in that way, uh, but. To me, the fact that they keep them apart, I mean, this late in the season, they're still that far apart, I really think that Minnesota game is making a big difference. I think they're looking at them and saying one team went out and challenged itself out of conference and one team didn't.
1: If Alabama loses to Missouri, is the SEC out? Yes.
3: And I think that was pretty clear um, by the committee rankings last night when Missouri all the way down at 15. Um, You know, that's kind of a reflection of Winning the SEC East is not the same as winning the SEC West, and and to me, that's one of the benefits of a committee. You know, I think in in the polls, we don't necessarily make distinctions like that. You know, I think this happens in the basketball committee a lot, where they play, you know, some of these conferences in basketball now sixteen teams, and you can't just say, well, this team went twelve and four in conference, and the other team went eleven and five in conference. You have to actually look at which teams in the conference they played and. Uh, Alabama played all those really good teams from the West. Missouri, uh, it's amazing stats, and he just went seven and one in the SEC without beating a single team with a winning record in the FCC. That's that's astounding to me. So, no, I don't see him jump jumping twelve spots for being Alabama.
1: You know, I I don't have a better term than shitstorm, so I apologize for it. But I don't think anyone cre- anything creates a bigger one. Than the SEC not being in this because I mean if you look you know we talked about it going week by week and how many weeks were there three teams from that league in it and they are go- the SEC I don't know, what supporters is that the words are going to be screaming to the mountains about how this is so unfair because they have to play each other and that's and and, and that's keeping them out of this or whatever but I, I will yeah, no no question yep. And I can't wait to see I, I that. Would, I, I'm rooting for that because I don't have a rooting interest in Alabama. Well, good
3: because so. that would be one of the all-time upsets, to be honest with you. Uh, I, look, again, all credit and a worry for winning the division. But, you know, you look at their schedule and say, who, who did they beat? They lost Indiana. They got clobbered by uh, Georgia. They got shut out by Georgia on their home field. There's not a lot there to give you confidence that they would beat Alabama. But yeah, Alabama. It does happen. happen. Yeah, if it does happen, you know the FCC. I, I don't. I wouldn't have much sympathy for the FCC. Um, I, you're right. Their fans would would cry at bloody murder. It's interesting. There's been a lot of. Um, uh, you know, we did a show on Fox the other day where we had six, seven, or eight of our analysts and we sat around at the table and we debated this. And uh, Clay Travis, who's a, you know we all know, is a bit of an FCC show, um, you know, said something kind of throwaway lines. The SEC West was the most dominant division in history. And some of our colleagues took immediate umbrage to that. I don't know if I'd go that far, but that's a really tough division when the last place team, Arkansas, um, you know, lost, or lost fourteen thirteen 13 to Alabama, lost to the number one team. And I believe by one touchdown in Mississippi State. They're very good. And they're the last place team in the division. Right. Uh, but, like you said, they all play each other, and they all have to knock each other off. So there was never realistic when there were three SEC left teams in the top four in the first bowl, that they hadn't played each other yet. And, and, and there were scenarios where these teams, at the end of the day, you know, Auburn shouldn't have lost at home to Texas A&M. Um, you know, I can't say that Mississippi State leaving Ole Miss is a bad loss because it's a rowary, and, and Ole Miss is a 9-3 team. But, obviously, if they take care of business in that, I don't think
1: that the SEC have to worry about not having a team in the playoff. Right? Yeah that that, that would be uh, that would be fun. But uh, let me ask you about another thing: uh, the Kenyon Martin thing with Ohio State, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Is is that it, the the good news is is that when Kenyon Martin was hurt for Cincinnati, or the uh, yeah the good news for for Ohio State is when this happened to Cincinnati, it was the last game. So the committee had nothing. Ohio State gets to play a game here, uh, where they can maybe make a case uh, that they deserve the fourth spot, uh, being you know a one-loss uh, champion of the Big Ten. If if they can if they can do that with their I suppose third quarterback. But in your mind, is there any way, uh, barring maybe them being the only other one-loss team? And, and would that even be enough? Will the committee allow them to be in it without JT Barrett?
3: Well, Jeff Long said last night that they weren't penalized at all in these rankings because of not having JT Barrett, but that they will be watching closely in this game. the conference a good team. They're not quite as high in the rankings as I thought they would be. And if Ohio State beats them... Like you said, we don't even know if that would have been enough with JT Barrett just because of where they are. Um, I think they obviously need help. But, you know, I think they would say, I think it would depend a little bit on the nature of the game. I mean, it would be that the offense played well enough that you would have confidence that they could fare well in a playoff um, without him, or the offense really struggles if he goes you know, 12-30 passing, but they shut down Melvin Gordon. I mean, uh, to me, all that would matter is winning the game. I don't know how Cindy would look at it. I just think Wisconsin is a good enough team, that if you can beat them, then you're show, you've shown you can beat a quality opponent with your now third-string quarterback. I just don't know if their whole body of work is enough to get into the playoffs at this point. You know, they to me, I mean, in my rankings, they're the, the lowest one team below uh, Baylor. Uh, they just don't have the quality. You know, their big win is at Michigan State. That's a good win. Um, and that Wisconsin give them one more good win. And that's about it. You know, and it's Again, not their fault. The big tennis are mediocre, but <clears throat> it is what it is. And they also have the worst loss of any of those teams. I think they would need some help this week. need some teams to get knocked off.
1: You know, I think it was the TCU coach just a couple of days ago who said, I was aware of style points. I'm aware of that. And I remember a time where style points – were huge in the BCS formula, and I think we got to a point where collectively it was decided that that was a bad thing for college football, and style points were somehow uh, sort of knocked out of the equation a little bit. Is it a bad thing that coaches are saying publicly now that they're aware style points have mattered, and almost all of this conversation that we've had to some degree has involved uh, without saying it, style points a little bit.
3: don't think style points ever went away? I mean, I remember what you're talking about. There was a time when the Margin of Victory was in the... Well, basically, the, the BCF came out pretty early on. Early on in the BCF history, they changed that thing every year, which was right. You know, not great for its credibility. And at one point, they decided that they were going to try to discourage running up scores by making their computer rankings take Margin of Victory out, which in itself, was kind of silly because without victory margin, what are those computers really computing? But that doesn't mean that style points ever really went away because AP voters, or, or Harris poll voters, or Coaches poll voters, aren't fast when you put up 80 points on somebody. So I I don't know that it changed so much. I think, I will say that when the committee, you know, everybody got all up in arms and mocked the committee when Jeff Vaughn started talking about game control, so what he means by that is they're impressed when a team is dominant right from the beginning. When, for instance, Alabama played Mississippi State, Mississippi State was number one in the country, and Alabama, as he says with his own words, controlled the game from the start. That to me is different than they were up by um, ten. You know, a team is up by ten late in the fourth quarter and tacked on two more touchdowns to make it twenty-four and make it look better. That's one situation where you know the polls just look at the final score a soft of all the time. The committee theoretically is talking about that, saying, hey, we're aware of the fact that that team was not as lopsided as the final score indicated. Or the opposite can be true sometimes. Team team is up huge. happens to Oregon a lot. They're up huge. They rest their starters. The other team comes back and scores some points. Um, to me, I have no problem with them looking at it that way. Um, I would have a problem if somebody said that running up the score made an impression.
1: Does Arizona have a legitimate case to be in it if they beat Oregon in the, in the game this week?
3: I, I think they do. I think um, that the, the Pac-12 South turned out to be extremely competitive. Um, they would have two wins over uh, a now 11-1 and Oregon team. They have a win over a 9-3 Arizona State team. They have a win over a top 25 Utah team and two losses. You know, everybody talks about Oregon's injuries when they lost to Arizona. Arizona lost the last second game to USC when two of their top three running backs were hurt. Um, you know, their losses were respectable. Now, is that enough to justify putting a two-lock team over some one-lock team? Um, debatable. Um, depends on, you know, depends kind of what happens this weekend and who the one-lock teams are that we're talking about. But I certainly think that if there are upsets this weekend... and and it does get down to that, that they should definitely be in the conversation. Uh, I think that a a chance, a two-loss champion of... I've always thought there would be a two-loss champion in this year just because at one point in the season, upsets are happening so fast. It just seemed like there's going to be that kind of year. Right. Obviously, we go into last weekend with enough one-loss teams that it probably shouldn't happen, but I wouldn't have a problem if they ended up in it.
1: If all the favorites this weekend win, do we have our four set already?
3: If all the favorites win this week, the top three, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. TCU moved up to number three. If all the favorites win this week, uh, Alabama, Oregon, and Florida State are in. And then it would just come down to is the TCU Baylor um, head-to-head going to finally come in or not? And up until this week, I thought it would and that that would be a no-brainer. But like I said earlier, now TCU's three and Baylor's three spots behind them. I don't think it's necessarily so obvious. The committee knows how, how closely everybody's watching that, and they're going to have to come out if, if 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 they do keep TCU above Baylor, they're going to have to come out and explain it really well, and they know that, and so I just don't know how that's going to end up. But at this point, I'm inclined to think that TCU would would stay above them, and I think that you would hear them come out and say that everything I said earlier that that one game was such a close game that we didn't feel like it necessarily. Swayed things either way TC plays tougher schedule or maybe just the subjective. We think TC is better. I don't know, but there is very fascinating for this, obviously, uh, head to head, you know, Florida, everybody talks about the area remembers the 93, uh, Florida state Notre Dame situation. It happened in the BCS era, but you know, I think one reason why people should be legitimately questioned them if it happens is that was one of the factors they specifically put in there with head to head. Um, It'd be one thing if it wasn't even mentioned in the protocol and people were saying, why don't, hey, why don't you use this as a tiebreaker? Their, uh, their instructions say they will. So to ignore it, you have to make a pretty good case that TCU is definitively better than Baylor.
1: Will they both get in if Florida State loses? It's possible.
3: Certainly possible. You know, it's, it's interesting because all year people have speculated that not having a conference championship team might hurt the Big 12, and right now, right. Um, I think it's helping them. It could help them. I mean, it's certainly going to help TCU. Um, you know, they're they're, they're going to win this week, and they're going to be 11 and one. Uh, and you know, maybe for Baylor, an extra game against the quality team would help them beef up that schedule. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, this has been a pretty cool uh, year. It's pretty cool how it's setting up. All the conference championship games have playoff implications. And other than, you know, Alabama, Missouri, uh, the other ones are, are all, could all go either way. And um, if there's upsets, then the Big 12 going to look really smart for sitting back and not exposing their team to another upset. If it's the other way and the favorites all win the championship game and, and the Big 12 can't gets left out, then obviously that's a different story. But right now, um, I think specifically because of Ohio State and their got a weaker resume and the quarterback situation, it seems to be at least one of the big 12 teams
1: are getting in. Sportscaster here is Stuart Mandel finishing up. He's from Fox Sports. He's at SL Mandel on Twitter. So he's always been a great friend of the show. We always appreciate the time he's giving us, especially a lot of time on a busy week where he's traveling all around and doing TV and all these great things an exciting time for college football. I still think it hurts them a little bit that we're going to have all this fun and excitement and then forget about it for three and a half weeks or whatever, but um, I guess that's just uh, the nature of it. Uh, a couple last quick things, and I'll let you go. Uh, who's going to win the Heisman?
3: It's Marcus Mariota, I believe. Uh, he's had such a phenomenal season. Um, If he goes out and and, avenges his loss to Arizona, I I think he will win it. Melvin Gordon can certainly win it too, and I just think that he might need Mariota to lose um, to do it. I guess maybe if he goes out and has another just enormous game against Ohio State uh, and maybe Mariota has an average game that he could pass them. But Mariota has been in the front-runner spot all season. So I don't think he's gonna lose that spot. And in fact, I think it's down to the three man race at this point. Mark Cooper's the only other one I even put in the conversation. And it's hard for a receiver to win it. He would probably
1: need both those guys to lose. Right. Uh the Michigan obviously made their decision and changed coaches. They've changed coaches a lot, it seems like, in the last uh while here. I wonder if maybe they changed coaches because they think that it's sort of uh, a done deal that Harbaugh will be their guy if for some reason uh, he's not was it was it a mistake and is there other uh, is there other options that are better than what they had out there if Harbaugh uh, decides the NFL or the 49ers or whatever is just a better fit than him or are we just too early on that to even speculate yeah I
3: don't think Harbaugh is going there I don't I you know all indications are he's staying in the NFL but obviously they're gonna wait and, and give him the chance to turn him down uh, and certainly try to persuade him to come. Uh, pretty hope had to go. Uh, the, the program was going backwards. It was embarrassing, the offenses that he was producing. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, the climate was just so toxic. There's never any doubt they were going to change coaches. But it's a weird weird time at Michigan. You know, the, there is not a permanent A B yet. Um, and got an interim AD making a decision right now which means fairly switches. The president of the school, uh, who's relatively new, has no knowledge or experience, me, I believe he has no knowledge or experience with big time athletics and in fact expressed some disdain for it in his comments publicly. So it, it might not be quite as attractive a job as it would normally. I don't know who the um, no brainer candidate is. I think Greg shallow makes sense there. Uh, if he if he I think well, I, I think he would go there and I think there's there's reason to be interested in him. The Sterling Air which Jones from Tennessee fell on Michigan 5. All those guys are more realistic to me than Harbaugh. But no, I don't think it, it was ever Harbaugh or Buffs, you know, the people have lost all confidence and great
1: hope. UAB might not be a program anymore. Are other programs in trouble? Do you think that this is uh, something well, like in a vacuum, or are I, we going to see people this?
0: Are, Yeah, people are
3: using this as a, you know, looking to see if other, other programs are going to fall student. All I can say is, while it is possible that some other schools will take hard and look at football and the amount of money it costs and whatnot, I wouldn't use UAB as a as a template. UAB has, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't followed it to read up on it, a it's really unfortunate and bizarre political situation where the same board of trustees, oversees the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And one of those trustees, by the way, is Paul Bryant, Jr., uh, also oversees UAB. And it's, it's in history of the program. They've never supported it. They've never invested in it. It's not for their benefit for, uh, for, the, for there to be another successful program in the state. Uh, it's their benefit to protect the University of Alabama. And so all that contributes to this. It's not just, well, they were losing money and it was no longer affordable. Because there's, frankly, a lot of programs out there that lose money, but their schools deal for worthy investment because of the exposure you get from from having a major program or how it attracts students to the school. So, that doesn't even want to happen. You know, in the economy era, I think that those schools are going to get increasingly disenfranchised and Marshall, which is a great example of that. That you can go undefeated for that late in the season and really gain no national traction, but right. all the young people that don't don't look for UAD as a precedent. It
1: was a very unique situation. All right, very last thing. As a fan, and I don't mean the kind of fan who's like, you know, wears his north uh, Northwestern shirt and hat every Saturday. But as a fan of the game of college football, what do you want the two games to be uh, in the playoffs? So, what are the what are the if you could in a perfect world, what would be those first two? Uh, semi-final games to really make this a, a great first year for the playoff and make us really excited that the BCS is dead and, and that this was a really great uh, college football season that played out uh, the best way it could have ever possibly played out for college football fans.
0: Well, I think we're pretty close to it. Um,
3: obviously, there was never any chance this was going to be clean top four, and I do think the TCU Baylor could end up being the, the wrench in it, but... You know, I think if we get to see – I think the game i wanted to see for years now is Alabama-Oregon. Or we want to see those two styles match up, whether it's a semifinal final or a final. So, if you've got them in it, if you've got Florida – I think Florida State as the defending champs and the kind of reigning villains right now, they got to be in there. And, and then I'd like to see the Big 12 champs. So, I don't know how I would necessarily match them up with each other. But if you have those four teams in there, um, you know – Certainly, if Ohio State loses this week, it makes it a little more justifiable. Um, if they win, then maybe there's some argument for them as well. But once the way this season has played out, I just think that um, those are the teams I want to see. And and there'd be a lot of great storylines. You know, let's just go ahead and, and say that I while I while I think T.P. is a better team right now, it would actually be a little bit cooler if it was Baylor because of that very unique style that our files play. Wouldn't it be great to see you know, you basically have two kind of traditional, old-school uh, post teams in Florida State and Alabama, and then two of the most innovative, new-age offensive teams in Oregon and Baylor. I think that would be pretty cool uh, First, for two first-time summer finals.
1: Can I just tell you the one thing I hope doesn't happen? I just hope that whoever gets in in the Big 12 doesn't get... doesn't have a bad day in that game, so it just sets up this whole... I told you the other team would have been in cuz that happened to Oklahoma when they lost to to USC uh really 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 badly. There was a lot of people, I can't remember who the third team was that maybe some people thought should have been in over Oklahoma, but I just think I hate when that happens to teams cuz that's not fair. Uh even in that even as crazy of a blowout as that game was, you know, Oklahoma had scored first and uh had gotten a stop and then uh, Mark Bradley had made this horrible fumble that sort of just shifted the game and it went downhill and it's silly for me all these years later to be making excuses in a game that was like 66-10 to 10 or whatever it was but I just hope that doesn't happen to either of those teams because I don't think that that proves everything about whether the committee was right or wrong. So that's the one thing I guess I have my fingers crossed doesn't happen. I don't know. Nothing. Yeah,
3: I don't think you have to worry about that. I, I, it's two two rounds instead of one and um I I do that was a big frustration with the DCX is that the feeling that the wrong team got in there and uh and you know one reason I think that's one reason why I'm okay with scrutinizing Pro State and and the undefeated record more closely because in 2012 a lot of us weren't that confident in Notre Dame um but we felt like you know if you go undefeated against the how ugly it was you should be in the championship game because that was only two teams um you know, and a lot of times that resulted in a really lost third championship game. So the pair semifinals, honestly, I mean, I, feel, I will feel really bad for Baylor if it gets left out. But unfortunately for them, I think they would then kind of get – going to play a team in the in the bowl game. They get sent to you that if they beat them, soundly you would say, oh, they were they should have been in the first place. Um, bowl games are, are unique. There's such a long break in between. I looked to the Alabama-Oklahoma Sugar Bowl last year. That was, that was a great win for Oklahoma, but they played out of their minds that night. They didn't feel like they had all season, and, and that's the seen this year. It wasn't a really a, a pretty good thing to come with Trevor Knight. So I don't read too much into not bowl results in games where there's not a national championship
1: implication. Well, whoever doesn't get in needs to be the, the leader of the Let's Make It 8 campaign, and then let's do this every year. Until we get eight, because I still feel like eight's eight's the magic number. But obviously, then when we get to eight, we'll be saying that that ninth team should have been in, and I get that. But uh, it was a lot easier to keep track of you at SI. So before I let you go, let everyone know all the great stuff you're doing on Fox and when and where and how to find you, because this was great, and they're gonna wanna they're gonna want more Stuart, I know that for sure. I <laughs> well, appreciate that. You know, I'm still writing almost every day for FoxSports.com.
3: i like that projections up there right now for all 38 games. Uh, and then you know I'm in there in TCU this week reporting for America's Free Game, which comes on at 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 5, which comes on at 11 o'clock Eastern on Fox
1: Sports 1. Thanks so much for making time this week. I know you're busy. I really appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to have you on again. And that is for the record, at least two times in a row that you came on and we did not talk about scandals. So we are on a run, bud.
3: I would put in UAV
1: in that category
3: a little bit, but that, that's an important topic that we need to talk about. So thanks a lot, Steve. always
1: appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Real quick, book club updates here today. Before I get to that, I just noticed it's Wednesday. Don and I just recorded that intro on Tuesday. I noticed that the Browns are going with Hoyer. So they fooled us. Uh, Book Club, two books we're working on right now. True Tales from 59 of Your Favorite Players. That's Hockey Card Stories by Ken Reed. A pretty cool book. If you collected hockey cards as a kid, you want to learn some stories about some of those cards Uh, You can get that in Ken Reed's book Hockey Card Stories. The other one, it's a reissue. The death of WCW. It's the 10th year anniversary of the Ryan Reynolds and Brian Alvarez Wrestling Classic. Uh, It's been a crazy week in the wrestling world. CM Punk had his uh, podcast with Colt, uh, uh, Colt Comana where he basically blasted the WWE for a variety of things and Uh, A lot of it which I believed and then Stone Cold Steve Austin had the chance to do a podcast with Vince McMahon which was awesome on the WWE Network and Stone Cold he doesn't mess around he didn't pull any punches Uh, so that was really cool so crazy week in wrestling and a good week to be promoting a wrestling book the death of WCW 10th anniversary of the best selling classic by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. We're going to have to get these guys on soon because there's not very many shows before we go to Christmas and we obviously don't want to uh, to carry that over. So that's it. Just a real quick update for the books today. And we're going to take a break and come back with Stephen Hyden from uh, Grantland. Our next guest is from Appleton, Wisconsin, and is a graduate of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. He writes about music for Grantland, and he's making a second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Steve Hyden. How's it going, Steve? Uh, it's going well. How are you doing? I'm going to say this in advance. If I have to say your name a lot during this, now here's the thing. One of the, my brother's teammates... Last name is Hayden, so all day I've been trying to make sure I didn't say Hayden. So if I do say it once, I apologize in general. So
0: um, that's fine. You, you wouldn't be the first, and I'm sure you won't be the last to make that mistake.
1: But I've been.
0: I think Hayden is actually uh, sort of a weird way to pronounce it. I feel like Hayden is a lot more common. So you know, I, I don't know how that happened with my name, but. Uh, that's
1: how it is. Yeah, and it's 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 spelled exactly the same, just without the a. So uh, mm. I was worried all day I'd screw that up, and I didn't. And I probably could have just moved on, but I said, "Well, if I say it later and I screw it up, he should at least know where it's coming from." Uh, thanks for coming I on. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate. I was your... going to say, I
0: appreciate the I appreciate the consideration.
1: Yeah, nothing's worse than having your name spelled like pronounced wrong when you're doing someone a favor. I think. So we always try really, th- we always try really hard not to not to be that guy, as it as it, as it would say. So, uh, look, there's a, there's a lot. Of, I, I wonder where I want to start. I, I guess let's start with okay. So last time you were on, if I recall, we were talking about a lot about uh, overrated, underrated, properly rated Pearl Jam column we wrote. That's a big uh, right. part of what we talked about. And I think in the end of that column, you, you sort of wrote about how uh, you might want to consider going back to Yield and thinking about that one a little bit more, that maybe that one was a little bit better than you thought, and I was thinking about that on the night that I realized that the show you were at was going to be a Yield front-to-back show. Well, and if I recall, I actually,
0: uh, I'm trying to remember the column, I, I'm pretty sure that I said that Yield was underrated because I've always liked that record. Now, one thing that I would amend with that column if I were going to write it today is that my opinion of, like, those turn-of-the-century Pearl Jam albums, like... Uh, Binaural. Uh, Binaural and uh, the one at Right Act. Act yep. um, my opinion of those has, has improved just because I've gone back and listened to bootlegs from that period. And... Uh, I really love those songs played live, like on the record. I think they're okay, but like just that period of Pearl Jam, uh, because of the live stuff, I've come around on more so than when I wrote that. I was pretty dismissive of those records uh, when I wrote that that thing. But I, I feel like I've always been a fan of Yield. Like when, like when during my initial like Pearl Jam uh, fandom in the '90s, that was like the last Pearl Jam record that I bought, like the week it came out. And, uh, so, uh, so and, and I've always kind of felt it was underrated. And then when they played it at the Milwaukee show, that was obviously, uh, really exciting. Uh, now, when did you when realize that out. was
1: happening? Like, well,
0: well, like, when they came out, um, they played... Pendulum first, right? The, well, no, like, like, over the PA, they played, like, that little instrumental
1: mm-hmm. that's yep. on Yield. Yep.
0: And, uh, yeah, yeah, and, uh...
1: The Red Dot, uh, as we call it.
0: Yeah, I read that, yeah. So that was sort of an interesting thing. And then, you know, they played uh, uh, they played Brain of Jay, and then they played uh, the next song on the record, which I can't remember. I'm sure you know it.
1: Uh, no, way. no way. No way. No way. Yeah.
0: They played that, and I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then they played the third song, which is, is the third song given
1: to Fly. Is that the fourth song? That's the fourth song. The third song would be – oh, wait – so I've already screwed up. The second song is "Faithful," and the third song is "No Way," and then uh, right, and then "Given to Fly." So, I, to fly. any of them. So,
0: like, yeah. so they played Brennan J," then they played "Faithful," uh, and then they played the third song, and then I was like, "Okay, they're they're doing this because they had played." I knew that they had played "No Code" from front to back. Yeah, I was like, going to ask you table. if you had,
1: if you had known that already that 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 had happened. So you did know. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah.
0: yeah, I knew that. I mean, you know, before going to the show, like I I, I looked at a bunch of recent set lists just to get an idea of, of what they were going to be playing and, um, you know, be did no code from front to back. So I don't know. I feel like I was talking with some friends before the show and like the possibility that they might do a record in its entirety was kind of thrown out there. So it wasn't totally shocking that they did yield. Uh, but it was cool because, uh, I think that's a record that, that fans like a lot, but it's not necessarily, uh, you know, like a Mass Appeal record. Like, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to play that one. You might expect, like, Versus or something, or Vitology. You know, they do something like that. So the new Yield was really cool. So, yeah, I like that a lot.
1: I think Dave Grohl has just said this recently, that he doesn't think that that's a, a very great idea. Where do you stand on that idea in general? Because it's become very popular, the idea of... Maybe touring on an album and then playing some more after, or if you're willing yeah. to play as many songs as Pearl Jam is, you just kind of sneak it in the middle there. I mean, they played five songs before they played Brain of Jay that night, including you know the Babble Rally cover with uh, with Rick Nielsen. So I mean, it's it's not like they they started with that and then gave you a little bit after, you know, and then right. and then there was about almost twenty songs after it. So I mean, that's a little excessive maybe, but um, you know, what's your, what's your idea on the uh, the idea in general?
0: I think what Grohl was saying is that he, did, he doesn't like it when bands, like, do, like, the anniversary tour, you know, like, we're, like the 20th anniversary of this album, and then you're touring behind the album uh, in in that way, and, like, Pearl Jam didn't really do that because they did this sort of unannounced, so it's sort of like a random thing, and they only did it at one show, so it's a little bit different than what Grohl was saying, I think. Um, I don't know, I you know, I don't... I think it depends on the artist. Uh, You know, as a fan, um, like when I saw Bob Mould a couple years ago, he played uh, all of uh, the first Sugar album, Copper Blue, you know, from front to back. And I thought that was awesome because I love that album. And if I was going to see Bob Mould live, those are the songs I would probably want to hear from front to back. Um, I mean, I think the idea maybe that he was getting at is that if you're a band and you are a... Uh, if you want to be like a, a vital sort of creatively, uh, uh, you know, important act that you shouldn't be relying on your old music to that degree that you should make a new record and, and tour behind that um, rather than, you know, touring behind some record you made a couple decades ago. Certainly I don't think Pearl Jam could be accused of that. You know, they put on a record last year and like you said, they played a lot of other songs other than that album. and, and, and also that album that they played and this is true even of no code you know no code and yield big albums among Pearl jam fans but like if you were just to ask the average person you know what albums you know the best they would obviously be 10 and, and verses and maybe vitology
1: right we call uh, those people t and Viers. what do you call t and Viers. You know, within the Pearl Jam community, we call them T&Vers, all they care about is the albums that start with T&V. Right, right, right. Yeah,
0: and, well, and you know, those. Are, and, and honestly, like, Pearl Jam, I'm not sure if they would be playing arenas if not for those albums. I mean, those, are, those were so hugely successful that it, uh, you know, Pearl Jam obviously has a big audience, but, like, you know, the arena, I saw the map, there were probably 18,000 people there, and I'm sure at least half of those people were tea and beers. you know, like people that just want to hear alive and even flow and and stuff like that.
1: Uh, Well, I would say half of the local people, or maybe even more than that of the local people, but I mean, there was probably at least 6,000 people there, maybe a little bit more than that who um, were there that night specifically for that and have no connection to uh, where what was this a Milwaukee show? Yeah, Milwaukee. That'd be yeah. my, that'd be my guess. You know.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They definitely have like a large contingent of people that that follow them around, and they're right. uh, just gonna you know gonna follow Pearl Jam no matter what. But you know, I mean, that's that's one of the great things about their career is that they had these sort of like huge kind of like almost like pop records in a way. I mean, at least in terms of what they sold. And, and the reach that they had of MTV, you know, there's still people that will like Pearl Jam just for those first two records, but then they have this whole other body of work that more serious fans can get into. And, um, again, you know, I thought it was kind of cool that they would play this album that wasn't their most popular record uh, at a huge arena show, you know, knowing that, like, I'm sure there are a lot of people there who are like, you know, what are these songs? Like, they probably didn't even know any, of those songs at all, uh, maybe given to Fly, but, you know, other than that, you know, they're wish probably, us, in different... Wish This
1: was a pretty big hit, and so is Do the Evolution, from that album.
0: Right, but you know how people are, I mean, like, a lot of people, you know, what's a big hit for, like, maybe you or, or me, I get, you know, what you, like, I get
1: what you mean, in general, like, yeah.
0: For just, like, casual music fans, who only buy, like, you know, who don't really follow stuff that closely, I think, they probably didn't know that as well, and I just think that's cool, that they did that, you know, that, because otherwise, a lot of them in that position, they would play the same 15 songs every night, and they're definitely not doing that. So uh, I think that's pretty gutsy, in a way, so for we, them to do that.
1: We talked about Dave Groen. I got i got a couple questions I want to ask you about him, but one last thing I want to say about Pearl Jam, because uh, we're here already anyway, and um, you wrote the American Belt, Band championship. Oh, and it, it and it ties into the Dave Grohl thing because when I watched the Seattle episode the other night of uh, Sonic Highways, which I think is brilliant, I got to think that like every band in the world has watched a few episodes of that and is just like shit. Why didn't we think of that? That is just so cool. <laughs> like I, I, just I think it's just crazy how good it is. But
0: well, I don't think most bands could pull it off though. I think that you have to have a guy. Uh, as famous as Dave Grohl in your band. And and the thing with Dave Grohl, too, is that, you know, because he was in Nirvana, that automatically gives him a cachet with musicians that opens those doors, you know, that he wouldn't necessarily have otherwise, I don't think. Because, like, older musicians, younger musicians, they all are going to want to talk to a guy that was in Nirvana, even if they don't like the Foo Fighters. So... I think you're right. Like, it's a great idea, but, like, most people wouldn't be able to pull it off, I don't think.
1: Now, I was a huge Nirvana fan. I'm still probably a huge Nirvana fan. Kurt Cobain died when I was 14. I was pretty pissed yeah. about it. You know, it was a, yeah. it was a big-time bummer. Uh, but I think, like, part of me uh, sort of shrugged my shoulders by November and just listened to Vitology and sort of got over it in a way. There's nothing I could have done about it. Um, And I remember... Uh, I was at one of the the in-utero concert shows in Buffalo. They played at uh, uh, the Alumni Arena at UB, which is um, a really small spot for a basketball team that doesn't matter in college basketball to play. I don't know what it holds for a concert, but it's not more than probably 5,000, and it wasn't sold out. And I remember in 1993 that in-utero was sort of a bomb. If that if that's the right word to put, I don't I don't know if that's the right word to say. I remember arguing with everyone that it was really good, how great Scentless Soprano was, and how great uh, Milk it was, and uh, you know just how good it was, and and arguing for it all the time, and how over it seemed like everyone in my life was with Nirvana. And on the other hand, this other band that I did like probably way more, and way more is probably not even an understatement, Uh, Pearl Jam was selling one million copies of their new record that year in one week and were literally the biggest band in the country. And it frustrates me to no end when in 2014 people can look back like you did at a year like 1993, and say that Nirvana was wearing the championship belt of music, and I, I just don't, I just can't understand that. It, it's so revisionist to me because Nirvana was was in a, they were not the champions. They they couldn't have been wearing the Intercontinental Championship belt that year. I would, I I I mean. I walked up and, and, and bought a ticket from a guy in the parking lot in alumni arena when I went and seen that show because I didn't have a ticket yet, who just wanted to give it to me for $5 so he didn't have to eat it. This, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. It just I know this is silly, but I was just curious <laughs> as to... Well, so,
0: so, you're, so you're arguing that because Pearl Jam was more successful commercially... No, I'm that arguing they, that
1: they were the champions that year in every way, that... I think Versus is much better. Because okay, than- like you
0: were, cause it seemed like you, the, the basis of your argument against Nirvana was that Pearl Jam was more commercially successful. Because you, you were saying that like the record bombed and like you know people weren't buying coffee tickets. Like because I mean, there's no question that Pearl Jam and nobody liked was, it either. The album nobody was, was, liked was more than popular than Nirvana. But like the comparison I would make is that Nirvana was the Beatles and uh, Pearl Jam was the Rolling Stones. And that we can argue about who's the better band, the Stones or the Beatles. I actually like the Stones more than the Beatles. And the Stones, like Pearl Jam, continued on. They had like, a longer legacy. In a lot of ways, uh, you know, they they changed with the times in the way that the Beatles didn't have to do. The, the Beatles had a much shorter career than the Stones did. But without the Beatles, there would have been no Stones. The Beatles... Created a template that other bands followed, and I would argue that the same is true for Nirvana. That Nirvana kicked open um, a movement, a scene, uh, a way that we looked at music at that time that uh, would have been impossible, I think, to imagine w- without a band like that.
1: Which is why, and, which is why they get to yeah, battle in 1991 and 1992. I, mean, I have no problem with that. Well, we can
0: argue about 93. You know, although again, like. Using your argument, you could argue for Pearl Jam in 91, too, because I'm trying to figure out if 10 sold more copies than, ne- than Nevermind it. I think it's pretty I comparable,
1: mean, pretty equal, I think. I mean, they're pretty
0: comparable. And, yeah. and, and Pearl Jam quickly overtook uh, Nirvana as, like, the more popular like, MTV band. I mean, they were definitely everywhere in a way that Nirvana wasn't. And they were everywhere in a way that clearly made Pearl Jam uncomfortable because they stopped making videos after uh uh after 10 i don't think they made any videos for verses so i think the um, bands were equally uncomfortable
1: i think yeah but although nirvana
0: continued to make videos which is interesting and Mm. pearl jam didn't but pearl jam was still way more popular i just feel like when you talk about the early 90s for me nirvana is always going to be the more important band it doesn't necessarily mean that nirvana is a better band overall but i think in the early 90s they just in my mind they own they own that period because they have a significance to that period of rock music that is larger than what you could point to in terms of statistics or like sales numbers or anything and quite frankly i think if you asked pearl jam they would probably agree you know, and, and and that's not a slight on Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam is, you know, I love Pearl Jam. Uh, they're they're a great band, but I think um they weren't Nirvana. You know, I don't know. They just weren't Nirvana, and I and I would argue too that like never mind. I mean, in utero. I mean, if we're gonna go, if we're gonna like segue now to the artistic discussion, like away from like the, because because again, I think you're right. Pearl Jam was selling a million records a week. If you did a poll of rock fans, they would have won a popularity contest. But to me, Nirvana was still more important, and they made better records. Like I think Nevermind and In Utero are better records than Ten. But verses.
1: nobody liked In Utero in nineteen ninety three. Nobody liked In Utero until Kirkwood. Well, over. how many great records? Well, okay, I don't, I wouldn't say nobody. Right, I am I'm being, I'm pretty, I'm exaggerating, yeah, I'm but yeah,
0: but you're yeah, but you are right. In Utero wasn't as popular, but like. Again, like, when I did that story, there's obviously some revisionism going on, you know? I wasn't alive in the, in the mid-60s, so I couldn't have, like, judged that firsthand. Like, a lot of that period, I wasn't alive. So, a lot, so, so, so some of that story is taking a like, history into account, and, like, what bands stood at the test of time, maybe, more than others. Because, um, you know, like, in, like, 1967, the Monkees were more popular than the Beatles, so, but like, would you say that, like, they are, that they necessarily get the, the crown over the Beatles? Maybe, maybe you could. I mean, there's an argument to be made there. But, like, um, I think that, you know, you'd have to defend that. I think in kind of a weird way, if you're going to make that argument, if you're going to say the monkeys are more are are better or are, are more important than the Beatles because they sold more records or were more popular.
1: I think it's sort um, of the setup, the idea of the championship belt. Like that's sort of an analogy, right, to the championship belt in boxing right. or wrestling or something like that. Right. Uh, right. Th- there's no way that Nirvana could have knocked out Pearl Jam in 1993, and there's no way that Vince McMahon would have kept the belt on Nirvana and not Pearl Jam in in 1993. And it's frustrating. But I think if... Yeah, go ahead. But if if we were staging these battles in... Yeah, you're right if,
0: like, we were talking about this in 1993, but we're talking about it in 2014. So, like, Nirvana gets extra strength from the weight of history, I think. Right. In a record like In Utero, yeah, it wasn't that popular at the time, but I think we can agree now... It's considered a classic, and, and most people who like music from that period will uh, most people from who like music from that period like that record and think it's a great record.
1: I love it. I've uh, always loved it. But
0: yeah, I did too. I, yeah. I love it too. I and so um so yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, I I think I might have. I, I did I pull him as the runner up then. I don't you remember. Did.
1: Yes, you did. I think I did.
0: Yeah. Um. So you know you make. Great points. Like, I'm not, you know, I think you made great points. These are all things I considered. Um, and, you know, you may, you may have a good point as far as 1993 that Pearl Jam should get that. Although, when I think back to that time, 1992 is, like, the big year for me with Pearl Jam. Yeah, you even know, they didn't put on a record that year, but that was the year that they, like...
1: Right, because uh, 10, 10 didn't come out until August of 91, and it hit late. It didn't like come out in August and and wasn't number one. It they needed that whole summer of La Palooza and all that in '92 to really really hit. And it was like Temple
0: of the Dog, right? Temple of the Dog was ahead
1: of it. it. Mm -hmm. And the
0: single soundtrack came out that year, I believe, which was big. I mean that. So you know they were really everywhere. I just remember the Even Flow video being inescapable, like that year like just every time you put on mtv like the video for even flow would be on um and, you know, and then they were on mtv unplugged and you know so there was a lot of momentum up behind that that band in that year so so much about um, the two
1: bands is similar and parallel and so many things that they did great like so many things that nirvana did great pearl Jam did great and vice versa like i would go to bat any day with anyone that they have the two best unplugs ever i, I fight anyone to the death on that uh, I'm sure someone, maybe even you, will say that there's Eric Clapton, or I don't know, one I'm not thinking of, but I would fight hard for them on that. You know, they I blo- can't, I'm,
0: I, I'm just trying to think of, like, one that would compare. Those are probably my two favorite two. I can't, I mean, the Nirvana Unplugged. I mean, again, with Nirvana, you know, so much of what they did is weighted because there's not a lot of it. And they had such a tragic career arc. So, like, when we talk about the Unplugged, obviously that has extra weight to it because Kurt Cobain died like four months later. And that, and your feelings about his death are going to get wrapped up in that record. And, like, all the songs on that record are about death. And it's a very somber record. Whereas, like, with uh, the Pearl Jam special, in a way, it's a more dynamic performance the way it builds from you know uh like they played black and songs like that early in the set and then they it did adds with, awesome,
1: it adds George writing yeah, on his arm yeah. it's it's just like
0: electrifying it's like it's like a great thing uh, it's a great performance um so you know this is a great debate you know to talk about um I love both bands I remember back then Feeling like I couldn't like Pearl Jam because I loved Nirvana, even yeah, though no, I, I was never dead. like that. <laughs> I was I, I,
1: I, well, I got over. I got over that fast, but like I, I, I
0: because you know Kurt Cobain was so anti Pearl Jam in the early going and would flag them all the time, and you know, and I was very, you know, conscious of that sort of credibility talk. But I remember the turning point for me was when they played on uh, when Pearl Jam played the VMAs with Neil Young and they played Animal right before Versus came out. And uh, that's still one of the best performances I've ever seen on an award show. Uh, When they did Animal and then they did Rock in the Free World, that was like
1: unbelievable. And that's so interesting because the year before when they played Jeremy, they wanted to play Sonic Reducer. And MTV would not let them. And they basically said... Uh, we're going to play Jeremy for them, but we're going to play it so good that if we're back here ever again, they won't be able to tell us what to do. And that's why they were able to play Animal the next year. And, like, that Jeremy performance from '92 in Pearl Jam Circles is considered, like, the best performance of it. You know, there's a scene in Pearl Jam 20 that Cameron Crowe found, uh, which makes me really happy, where, uh, Kirk Cobain talks about sort of making peace with Pearl Jam and, and talking to Ed and, uh, and uh, saying what a nice guy he was, and how he had said some things about the band he wished he didn't. And um, there's even a scene of them dancing under the stage. At, right, think, but at you know,
0: okay, I, I'm writing a book right now about pop music rivalries, and one of my chapters is on Nirvana and Pearl Jam, mm-hmm. and the way that Cameron Crow edits that, it's a little misleading because Kurt Cobain was dissing Pearl Jam pretty much up until the end of his life. Like, he did a Rolling Stone interview where he made some cracks about Pearl Jam, you know. So he didn't really stop doing that. And and I'm not saying he should have stopped or that that that's good or anything, but, like, the way that that film presents it, I don't know, there's there's an interesting thing that's gone on in the past 20 years, like, where uh, there's been sort of, like, a whitewashing a little bit about, like, what uh the relationship between those two bands were. Um and uh where it's sometimes been presented that like Cobain was friendlier with them that he some didn't he really appeared to be. I don't know. Obviously I don't know, but just based on things that I read, like a- like it wasn't like after that VMAs, that was in ninety two. Like he still made comments about Pearl Jam after that that were critical. That were kind of like jokey, slagging them off a little bit. Right, uh, and that's sure, just he, a poor. That's that. really
1: that's really a poor, poor representation of his character. To be honest, and I don't even say that as a Pearl Jam fan because they just would they. That's just if that. I mean, if, if well, he,
0: you know, I mean, I think I think the, from
1: what I gather with interviews that I've read that he thought Eddie Vedder
0: was a nice guy, but that the band sucked. And I don't, he's entitled to that opinion, you know. He just didn't think they were a good band. I think he thought that he was a nice guy and that they were good people. I think he amended his opinion in terms of, like, thinking that they were, like, carpetbaggers of grunge or something, you know, or that they were just corporate tools. Like, I think he amended that, but I don't think he ever came to like their music or anything. I mean, that seems pretty clear from the interviews I've read anyway with him. Um, and I don't think... I
1: mean, I and mean, he's entitled to our opinion. I mean, he doesn't have to like them. No, 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 um, not at all. So. Well, last thing on this, because we already talked longer than I asked for, and we spent the whole time <laughs> on this, which is frustrating, but happens when we talk <laughs> about Pearl Jam. There's an artist, I don't know if it's Van Gogh or some someone like that, uh, who like never sold anything when he was alive, and then he died, and he's the greatest. And And, and in Pearl Jam circles, you get some frustration with that from Nirvana, and it stems from uh, it stems from what they were at the end, which was fading. So it, it's so hard to have the... it's These conversations can be so frustrating because they never finished, unfortunately. You know, they, they you never got to compare... Like you said, with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, I'm sure there's similar frustrations on both sides there. Um, but Oh,
0: yeah, because, you know, I mean, the similarity is that the Beatles... Um, You know, they ended, and they never really went through, like, bad periods. You know, it was kind of all good throughout their career. Whereas, whereas like, the Rolling Stones, they were up, they were down, and they get judged sometimes by their down periods. And I think that happens with Pearl Jam, like, where people... Pearl Jam's been up and down in their career, and, uh, you know, if they get slagged, it's sometimes for, like, the periods that they were down. But, like they survived, you know, and they've continued, and they and they continue to go on, and I think that there's a virtue in that.
1: Right, and they were, uh, never, they were never down as a live act, but, I mean, either, like, even in that 2000, 1996 time. Like, 1996, right, there was a big thing that nobody bought, no code, right? Like, that it was a boss, that there was albums everywhere, like, similar probably to In Utero. Um, I mean, I'm thinking more of,
0: like, I mean, they certainly have made records like that where, well, I don't know, maybe you don't think this, but, like, I think... Yeah, you know, they've made records that weren't that great or that were just okay. You know, I'm talking like creatively down periods in their career.
1: Yeah, I'd probably be I mean, the wrong person to have that conversation with. I think <laughs> like you you, you okay. we talked about this at the very end last time and I felt like I didn't explain it right where you were like you were really shocked that I could say that a, an album like Yield might rank higher than one of the first 3 for me.
0: And well, I, I again, like, Yield, I wouldn't... Or I, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I said this, but, like, back then, but I feel like I would I would not be surprised by Yield. Like, if you were saying Riot Act or something it was, like, a top-three record for you... Riot Act and No it?
1: Code are probably my lowest, too. But, like... Really? Yeah, um... Yeah,
0: that surprises me that you'd have No Code
1: right, down but, there. but I think a lot of these people who say No Code, like, these Pearl Jam people argue with them who say No Code, I feel like they say that to be... Like the the cool Pearl Jam guy, like to me, No Code just doesn't have a, a top ten song on it. It's great as a whole, but it, there's nothing singularly on it that that as a Pearl Jam fan I, I'm blown away by. I mean, I, I hail, hail
0: like hail hail wouldn't be like a top ten like rock song by them for
1: you? Maybe if we're gonna segment it like that, but it certainly wouldn't be anywhere near my top ten in the catalog by them. Like maybe if we're gonna segment it down to like to like songs they play in the top. Five of the set list or something, it might make it. But I mean, just for me, like this is what I wanted to say about it. Like, so to me, the entire catalog, I've lived it as the as I don't know if you've seen the Steve Gleason uh, Pearl Jam thing that ESPN did last year, uh, where he he made he said something like about how Pearl Jam has been the soundtrack of his life. That's literally the case of mine. Like, I've lived every single one of these records the way that. Brad the way that the masses live ten and verses in vitology i live them all the the very same same way i went to 12 shows on the binaural tour and i went to 12 shows on the riot act tour and i live those albums and and those albums and those songs are just as big of a part of me as the beginning ones that that came out when i was 11 and 12 and 13 so like to me and you you mentioned this either popularity doesn't have to matter um and just because the, like I don't think that that versus uh is better than like I, I think they're all very very close I guess when I'm when I'm when I'm I'm rating them against each other I I just don't see a huge gap none of them like ride act would be the closest one to a drop off to me and it and it has a, a probably a top twenty song in it I, I don't know but that see, I don't
0: know I feel like. I don't know. It, it's interesting because when you're a fan of a band, like a really hardcore fan, I think that like the the more sort of familiar records, uh, you you kind of back away from those just because you've heard those songs a million times, and like you get drawn to like the second tier records because they seem a little fresher, maybe. And I know that like, you said you lived the records, right? I so, lived all you, of them. I mean, you know, I you, you kind of exposed to them as they come out, but like. You know, the fact that, like, but, but I know, but, like, as a Pearl Jam fan, it, I mean, it sounds like, in the fan base, that people that, like, like if you were talking to Pearl Jam fans, like, other hardcore fans, and you said, my favorite album is 10, like, don't you think they would judge you in a negative way, if you said that? Uh, That not, you were, sort of like, like you know, like, you weren't maybe that serious of a fan, because you were picking, like, the most obvious
1: maybe, Pearl Jam record? Maybe, maybe with 10... More so with Versus, definitely not with Vitology. I feel like any one of the first three would be obvious for people. I think people have a huge, huge regard for Vitology within the family. People feel like Vitology was the stepping away by them a little bit the right. start of the stepping away. So I I think you can get away with saying that in the hardcore circle. This sounds so silly. This is, this is I, I mean, I, I,
0: I like that record a lot. Like, I mean, you, can, you know, if we're talking about, that was definitely a record that I bought when, it, you know, the day it came out and my friends, like, we poured over it, you know, obsessively. Just like, at it's 20th birthday. Know, like, that was a huge deal when that album came out. I feel like in retrospect, that's maybe the most overrated record. Because there are songs on there that I think are terrible. But
1: you're so that you, you want to judge it, including things like Hey Foxy Mop had no dilemma? Like, you're not willing to just well, take that apart? If
0: I'm going real... to judge it as an album, it's an, an album is something that I can play from top to bottom, and I'm um, engaged, with it, engaged with it from beginning to end. And I feel like like I'm all for like weird songs on records. Like, I love the White Album, but I love, like, the weird songs on there. But, like, the weird songs on Vitology, some of them do not work at all.
1: Right, and they and did that on I
0: purpose, skip over them, And, you know, for me, like, No Code is, like, a better version of Vitology Because there's weird stuff, but it's still, like, I don't skip over it. Like, I appreciate it on No Code. But Vitology also has some of the best songs they ever did. So, I don't know. Um... And the inconsistency of ideology is maybe one of the great things about it. Like I, 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 can see that argument, and that makes a lot of sense to me. But for me, um, that's not like their best record. I, I wouldn't put that at number one. I like, f- is that
1: your number one? No, my number one's Yield. But I feel like people. I, I almost feel like you're saying exactly what they wanted you to say in 1994 about that record. Like I feel like that was exactly the point. Like, I think well, I, well, I think the point was
0: to make a record that like wasn't consistent and wasn't commercial and would have these weird kind of like left turns in there. Like, and I get that, but I feel like the records that they were emulating that do that, like, like you know, I think one of their obvious touchstones was Neil Young, and Neil Young has made a lot of records where there were like kind of catchy songs on there and then, like, really abrasive, like, weird songs. And, like, I love all of those records. Like, I love 70s Neil Young records. And I think there's a way to do that where you're not, you know... You're not following a formula, and you're following your own news, and you're being bizarre and abrasive and uncommercial and weird. But it still sounds good, and it still still works in the in, you know in the space of a record. And then you can do that, and it doesn't work at all. And I, for me, it doesn't work. You know, like that just for me. Obviously, a lot of people feel differently. But there's just stuff on there that like it's not interesting to me in a weird way. You know, for, for me. I, I, I
1: don't, for me, not for you is the setup for that stuff. And like I just ignore that stuff. That stuff doesn't mean anything to them or me or anyone else. Like none of those none of those songs that you're talking about resonate yeah. at all. Like nobody like if if you ever asked that rank no one would rank them. No one thinks about them. No one talks about them. Like those are just, but just th- they were there just to annoy people.
0: Right. But like which I get, but again, and like I like the record a lot. Like I'm, you know, again, like I'm not saying it's a bad record, but I'm just saying if you're gonna call it your favorite record, but then you're gonna say that there's five or four or five songs on there I don't like, that to me just seems weird. Like if you, your number one record should be like you like you, you should be something you listen to from top to bottom, I would think. But I don't know, like because to me, like the people that are gonna put that at number one. I got to think that they think the whole record is great. If they're going to argue that, like, well, it's my favorite record, but I don't like, like, a third of the songs. No, no, see, I... I, I, I that, <laughs> that's a bizarre argument. So I, so I assume those people think that, like, that's, that Stupid they, Mop song is, is really cool or awesome. And, I don't think they know. do.
1: I, I just think they think it... That I think they think Immortality is the last song on the album. <laughs> that's what I think. And and that's what all those people do too, that Vitalogy ends with immortality. That that stupid mop thing is there for seven minutes to annoy the people who Not For You was written for.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if that's your stance, then then you like a version of the record that's in your head rather than the actual
1: record. So can I not have yield number one because I always skip the red dot thing?
0: You can do whatever you want. Well, I'd but I, mean, I to... mean
1: under that theory, under the theory that, you know, you'd have to, you know, to me the red dot thing and maybe even push me, pull me are sort of bizarre things that I, I, like, I have no idea what the red dot thing is or why it is there. But I mean, yeah. but to me that's still a masterpiece. I don't know. We are so far off of everything. We've talked for 40 <laughs> minutes. I asked for 20. <laughs> I had a whole list of things I wanted to ask you about. I'm not going to be able to ask you about any of them. Uh, so we're just going to have to do this more than every two years. What seven twenty-three thirteen is the last time we talked. So next time we talk, the number one rule has to be uh, don't ask me any questions about Pearl Jam because we're just going to get off on this long thing about that. So we just have to avoid that. So the very last uh, thing, I'll let you go on this then. Um, so to me, it's been a struggle. Uh, these last few years there's people like uh, like uh, Gene Simmons uh, who certainly wouldn't be the one I would ask to be the voice for rock and roll but he's out there saying you know that rock and roll is dead and uh, I'm a big Howard Stern guy and and he still has these rock bands in all the time and every time one comes out like the Foo Fighters are on today actually and one of the things Howard asked them is you know Gene says this is this true uh where does someone who's critiquing music stand on a statement like that and and is there hope in 2014 and beyond that some 20 years from now we can have a debate about two bands uh like Pearl Jam and Nirvana having an uh, impact not only uh amongst fans of uh quote unquote grunge music but of but in popular culture and in in uh in a in a much larger scale than maybe whatever i don't know the biggest band is doing now well i mean i think when we talk about
0: like is rock dead you know in one respect obviously the answer is no because there's tons of rock bands there's there's tens of thousands of rock bands right now you know trying you know making records playing shows um you know a lot of them are on record labels a lot of them do okay a lot of them are fairly well known um you know, I saw a couple bands in arenas this year. I saw Pearl Jam in an arena. I saw the Black Keys in an arena. Um, you know, playing for like tens of thousands of, of people. So, you seen uh, Pearl Jam so in a stadium. Been... What's
1: that? I said you've seen Pearl Jam in a stadium. I guess that Pearl was last year, but... And Foo Fighters are playing a stadium this year. I just wanted to to mention. There's so
0: so obviously, you know. I think when people talk about this, what they really mean is like can rock and roll matter the way it did in like the '60s, '70s, '80s, and '90s. Right. And the answer is probably not. And I don't think that's an indictment necessarily just of rock music. Um, I can't think of a lot of genres that had the same impact now that they did uh, back then. Um, the fact of the matter is that the record industry uh, cratered, you know, it's, and uh, so it's really hard for any artist uh, to have the machine behind them that can enable them to be as big as these bands of the past were. I mean, you know, we talked about Nirvana and Pearl Jam you know, sort of being wary of MTV. The fact of the matter is is that we wouldn't be having this conversation today if it weren't for things like MTV and major record labels because those things got those bands out there. Now, once those bands got the exposure, they went their own way and uh, certainly in the case of Pearl Jam, you know, going their own way is what has enabled them to survive uh, over the past, you know, 20-some years. But... They wouldn't have sold a million records in a week if the music industry wasn't the way it was set up uh, back in the early 90s. If Pearl Jam were a new band today, they wouldn't be selling a million records in a week.
1: Well, no so one they does because, that, right? I mean, except for
0: maybe Well, Swift. of course, Taylor Swift does it. Okay. But, you know, they wouldn't do it. There's just not the machine in place that gives bands an opportunity to have that kind of impact. So... I don't know what we're going to be talking about in 20 years. I think that there's going to be a lot of great rock bands still. I think that there'll be great rock records. But, uh, you know, to apply that sort of standard to music, saying that, like, okay, you have to be as big as Pearl Jam was in 1993 or, you know, like what Led Zeppelin was in the 70s, I just don't think that's going to happen anymore for rock bands or or maybe for anybody else. It just seems like the pie is shrinking for everybody, and things are just getting stratified. Uh, so you know that's kind of a sad thing. But on the other hand, um, you know because the media is more stratified now and more spread out, it enables more things to survive simultaneously. So you know, you know, because like, like back in the '90s, it's you know, like you had hair metal on MTV all the time. And then Grunge came along and wiped all those bands off of television. Right, it's like and Janie the, Lane's those,
1: story, right? Janie Lane's story yeah. yeah, about the the Cherry Pie album and then he came back and it was Alice in Chains.
0: Yeah, and, and, and back then media was so much more centralized where, you know, you if you weren't on MTV and you couldn't get on the radio and you weren't on the cover of Rolling Stone, that you really were dead. You You, you couldn't reach an audience. And now you don't need that kind of exposure to be successful. You know, uh, you know, the internet obviously allows bands to reach out to people directly and, 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 you can build your own niche and it's not going to be as big, maybe as what bands were able to do 20 years ago, but you can still have a career and you can still have an audience. So, you know, I, I so I mean, looking forward, it just seems like it's the long tail, you know, what they talk about, with the long tail, that yeah. it's just going to be a lot of different kinds of bands, Catering to a lot of different kinds of niches um, and it's going to be really hard for any one artist
1: to tower over the rest I think if you were me so. you, if you were me would you go to you can answer this in, in one word if you were me would you go to the Bob Seeger show or the Fleetwood Mac show at our arena this month uh, probably Fleetwood Mac and um, Steve Haydn is on Grantland. He's at Stephen underscore Haydn on Twitter. He writes way more columns than I thought you did. I was reading through them today, and I felt like I was reading for three hours, and I was only to October. So there's tons of great great content on the site that, believe it or not, after you've listened to this interview, it's not all about Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Uh, Almost none none of it is. Uh, But uh, hopefully the debate we had... What wasn't bad, because I felt bad for you when this when the article came out in August. I was looking at your mentions, and I was just shaking my head, and I was thinking, I wonder if he even regrets doing something as fun and as cool as he says, because people have to be such idiots about it. But hopefully I was... Most people were cool. Most people were cool about it. Like Even people would
0: agree with choices I made. They liked the story. I got more positive feedback than negative. But, you know, a story like that, it's obviously going to inspired debate and it's going to make people some people upset certainly you thought i should have went with pearl jam in the early 90s and and you make a really good case for that i mean you know this isn't science it's it's opinions people have different opinions and and uh, hopefully people don't get too pissed off you know it's it's just something that's supposed to be fun
1: it was very fun to read it and it was very fun to debate it with you and i asked you for 20 minutes and we're on 50 so thank you so much Uh, for all the time and uh, we just have to do this a little bit more and uh, uh, keep the 90s grunge out of it so we can talk about the 30 other things i had on my list here (laughs) well thanks for having me on man it was fun thanks bud talk to you soon All right, I want to thank our guests today, Stuart Mandel and Steve Hayden, for being on the podcast. Really appreciate that. I also want to congratulate Yale hockey forward John Hayden for being one of the players selected for the World Junior Team uh, for the United States of America this year in the World Junior Championships. Yeah, that's sweet. Hayden's a stud. He's a 19-year-old beast. Uh, if I was ever that strong when I was 19, it would have been cool. So he played straight from high school then? He was a true freshman at Yale. Mm-hmm. He played for the development team in right. Ann Arbor. So congratulations, Hades. Pump for you. And uh, they still got to make some cuts, probably four forwards. And they'll do that on December 24th. The rosters due the 25th. Uh, but oh. I love his chances to make the final roster. Uh, but I want to give a big congratulations to uh, to John Hayden. And since we're talking Yale hockey, I should also say that I wish my brother a speedy recovery from a pretty nasty and unfortunate ankle injury. Uh, but uh, looking at the bright sides, it's as clean of a break as you can get. And uh, if there was little or any little given damage, his career at Yale might have been over. But since it was a clean break as soon as that bone can heal he can skate and play so six to eight weeks not crazy and in the month of December they have five games so
2: oh yeah that's right they take a break
1: yep so uh thinking about you bud I know it's been a tough uh tough week all right uh picks Don and I are on fire what 11 what I say eleven and uh five something like that well what what makes sense because we only pick eight each week so it'd have to be sixteen total. yeah eleven and five in the last two weeks. Last week I won with the Giants, the Bills and the Patriots, lost with the fucking Saints. I'm three and one in the season, twelve, eleven, and one overall. Uh Don won with the Bills, Colts and Patriots, and also lost with the Saints. Three and one, thirteen, what, ten and one on the season. I mean, this
2: is a quick segment, but what did they do? Like they were dominating that game. Is that just an example of another reason why Rex Ryan is absolutely gonna be fired? Like
1: Rob and or they're, Rob. They're sorry. just retarded.
2: Yeah, they're just defense. Yeah, yeah, they're just retarded. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Game of the week. Yes. Uh, sure. Seahawks at the Eagles. Uh, Seahawks are a one-point dog on the road to the Eagles. I've said it before, and I, this is going to be one of those things that. Oh I, shit! Hold on. What do we forget? We're to
1: say? the worst. You can find our work on oh, our website yeah. wwwsports dot you can reach us on Twitter at sports underscore casters or Don at Don like sports. And you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Why would we ever do something like promote our stuff during our podcast?
2: It's Why of, would we do that? Part of our business model. All right. Go ahead. Uh, Yeah. I was saying uh, I've been wrong about this every week this year uh, or maybe not every week, week by week, but I keep saying it. I don't believe in the Eagles' defense, and I definitely don't believe what they're doing is sustainable. Uh, they might not be a bad defense, but just the amount of turnovers they're generating just at an unbelievable pace, and the amount they're scoring. Uh, and I do believe in the Seahawks' defense. I think the Seahawks have been made human a little bit this year. but And I know they're not the same team on the road, but I don't know. I just expect one of these weeks someone to go out and prove me right about the Eagles defense, and Seattle has a pretty conservative offense, so if you are a team that relies so much on turnovers and scoring points on defense, I think you're going to get bit by that and Seattle's a conservative team, and they're playing against uh, a guy called Matt Leinert in uh I forgot his name again u s c other u s c guy Sanchez Mer- Sanchez. And I don't believe in him against that Seattle defense. So give me a point on the road, and I'll take Seattle.
1: Uh, Philadelphia laid it down on the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, but I heard a Cowboys fan make a really compelling case of why he knew all along that the Cowboys were not winning on a short week there. Uh, Romo always takes Wednesdays off. He had a bad broken back anyway. uh, That was a bad spot for them. Philadelphia got a huge win. Seattle is maybe getting back to they are what we thought they were, uh, range. So I'll take Seattle as well.
2: All right, I gotta pick the Bills every week, and I think every week they I've been picking them either I like the number enough or I just thought they were gonna win. This week I'm gonna go against it and hope I'm wrong. The Broncos are giving up ten points at home, but I just if you can beat the Bills' defense, it's in their secondary. I said it earlier, and Peyton Manning is good at as anybody ever at exploiting matchups so i expect the bills to struggle and the denver defense is improving and looking really really good and they're really good at stopping the run which means the bills are going to have to rely on kyle orton which hasn't been a recipe for success in about a month so i don't like the bills chances at all this week prove me wrong and then i'll start thinking playoffs again but They're in a tough spot. So give me the Broncos.
1: I think I mentioned with the Redskins a few weeks ago that a team like them should never be seven-point favorites, and that worked. A team like the Saints should never be ten-point favorites. (laughs) Really? Come on, ten points? When was the last time a Saints and Carolina game ever had a difference of ten points either way? Probably right around never. Uh, uh, There's just no way that I am picking the Saints and laying ten points not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not ever this year. So I'm taking Carolina All right, very I, happily plus ten.
2: I interestingly enough took the Saints in my random game. I I think it's God bless you. It's the like the immovable object against an unstoppable force, but like whatever the opposite of that would be. Like the Saints can't stop anybody, but Carolina can't do anything on offense. So like which breaks? But I do believe in Drew Brees still in that offense. Uh, I believe they make a point maybe a little bit to get Jimmy Graham involved this week. I I don't know. I, I it was my gut it was my gut against Baltimore that they would just blow somebody out. It's my gut that they're just gonna blow somebody out one of these weeks, especially if they wanna I mean, they're a playoff team right now. Well, they're not, right? Atlanta has a tiebreaker.
1: Right, technically Atlanta, but, but we mean, haven't played Sa- our second game. Right. The
2: Saints like are a team that's still playing for something. I, I very just, much alive. Just waiting for them to blow somebody out. So uh I know you have more invested in them. You're probably more correct about this i will say that they
1: kind of blew pittsburgh out last week right kind of i mean pittsburgh got 16 points in the last four minutes when all the saints were doing was making sure they didn't get any of those points right away and i guess maybe that's what
2: hurts my point here is if that was a blowout and they still it was 30 couldn't
1: keep 35 to 16 with uh four minutes left or something Yeah. yeah So I don't know if that's a blowout or not. But. So I'm sure you hope I'm right. But, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, uh, my random game was the Rams minus three over the Redskins. Yeah. The Rams are five and seven. They blew that game against the Cowboys when they were 21 nothing up. And there's at least another one they've blown. They could easily be a seven and five team, not a five and seven. The Redskins are horrible. Uh, I have no problem laying. The Redskins are really going with Colt McCoy again. Like he's really the best quarterback they have. Colt McCoy is really better than
2: Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin III. No, I uh, I, I haven't heard what our boy has to say about this. I'm all sure right, it's all over Twitter.
1: But. All right, then uh, I'll take the Rams minus three on the road.
2: All right, my last game. I'm going to keep riding them. They were wrong last week, but that makes me feel even more like it'll be right this week. The Pats are a four-point favorite. Uh, they're on the road at the Chargers, but I don't. I don't. I guess I don't believe that much in the Chargers, and I do believe the Patriots are one of the best teams in the league still. Uh, And I don't know what their record is, but it's really, really good after losses, and I don't expect them to lose another game. So, or Yeah, maybe not all season, but definitely not after a loss. So give me the Patriots minus four on the road.
1: That's exactly what I said. They're not losing two games in a row.